Hello, Sorensen Sound. I just wanted to do a little solo episode. I don't think it'll be a long one, but you'll, in a way, know that before I do. Because <laughs> you can see the thing. Even though this will be done by then, I think you get what I'm saying. But I'm on a little walk. I cleaned the house. I made a cake. Uh, it was storming, so filed my nails. Uh, there is a correlation there, I promise. I don't know how to explain that, so I won't. Um, been trying to coordinate more guests for the podcast. Oh, hello, Cardinal. They're such pretty birds. Nature has been so crazy today because I just had to walk, go on my walk, at daily walk in general. Uh, we'll see if I actually get to six miles. Um, maybe not. I'm feeling a little lazy. But this is the kind of rain where it's, like, energizing. It's not the kind where you want to just curl up at home. And when I walked out, stepped outside, I was literally in awe at the clouds because I've truly just never seen something like it before. You know how there's those, like, lights that people DIY that look like clouds and they put a little light bulb in them and it's really cool. Um, although apparently they get, like, spi- like, spiders like to nest in there. I don't know how true that is, but that's what put me off from ever making one, because otherwise I would have been all up on that in, like, 2014. And this guy genuinely looked like that. It was so insanely backward that it just looked like there was um, a light bulb in it. And this couple walking their dog just gave me a stare. They always stare at me whenever we pass and walk. There's some people that have the worst energy in the same neighborhood, but someone who's not one of them was this lady who was driving around the same time I was on my walk, and she was waiting for me to go, and I was like, oh, no, it's okay, I'm looking at this guy, but all through hand gestures, and she rolled down her window, and she's like, it's just so mesmerizing, isn't it? I was like, yeah, it really, it's crazy, and I, you know, I just love being able to have a shared experience of just admiring the beauty of nature, of the mundane, of the day-to-day with people. And it's so cool that people can be so receptive to that. Um, so it's been a nice little afternoon, honestly. This is the most, like, bustling, little busy bee energy I've had trying to get stuff done. When my mom comes home, all, all that good stuff. Um... <laughs> I don't know, because my mom, she has this um, balloon. I, at this point, like, just truly don't know where what it's from because she's had it for a while. But there's this balloon that she, like, it's like, oh, do you want me to, like, move this? Do you want me to get rid of it? Like, whenever you had people coming over because it was just, like, floating in the living room. But it was a welcome home balloon. She was like, oh, no, I'm okay. And so, but she, she I know she had gotten rid of it, but I was looking for something and I went into her closet and I saw the balloon just floating in there and I was like oh that's really sweet and now I just want to do something for her revival something extra you know so because if that's if even in a nuanced way it's it's clear that that kind of reception and homecoming is important to her so I want to make her feel special and taken care of and everything especially now that we're down to the wire before I go back to New York. The last two weeks, um, whew, kind of a little crazy, 
Also, it's a little sad because now that I've been working the same shift or working, yeah, the same shift like every day with the same two people, one of which is my boss. So she's lovely, but we're not like close. She's always doing things. Um, but the one person I always work with, we're actually like pretty good friends now. Um, and I'm genuinely going to be like really sad to not see him every day because I would have literally without this job I don't know if I've said this up here if it's just something I've expressed to people in my life but I feel like I would have gone a little bit insane without without work let alone someone with such like a good head on his shoulders especially it's funny because he's like younger than me I've explained this dynamic of the touch time whatever um and like feeling I don't know just like very comfortable and I made him take MBTI test. He's an ESTP. And I've only known a few ESTPs in my life, but they're always, like, good people, fun time. So, we'll see. We'll see. I'm hoping we'll stay friends. I kind of feel like we will, you know? So, it's just me hoping. But if, if not, then I understand that this is, like, a season and I can just be grateful for the role that he played in my life and like my day-to-day and giving it structure in its own way it was nice to be like tethered to someone who does have a life here because my mom has her own but she's not the most invested in community just as a person beyond family that is um but he has like you know real roots kind of thing so it was nice to feel like I have some understanding of this place beyond my own perceptions or what I've tried to see. And I'm just very appreciative to be allowed a way of seeing like that. I feel like it's very generous, honestly. Um, And that is probably a key word I'd use to describe him as generous. Um, But with that said, it's been stressful (laughs) Um, trying to find Okay, so sublet for the summer. Like I said in the... Sorry, yawning. Episode with Delphine yesterday. And I'm only going to say names in reference to the episodes in which people appear. Because to me, that's that's part of the canon. That's more about as they presented themselves in that episode. And speaking of the episode, it it was like really fun. But at the same time, going into that kind of thing with the pretense of like viewership of like people are going going to like consuming your friendship in a way consuming that conversation is so strange um like that just as a first layer that's kind of a bizarre sensation because if you're going in and just interviewing someone you respect you admire then that's already kind of the format you would have in the first place where it's going to be a bit more formal you're going to like naturally like avoid certain topics or talk about things in a certain way maybe um that's just what you would do with someone that's like a stranger or who has a body of work and that you could engage with in a certain way that they've already articulated but with someone who you have like very close repartee (laughs) you have a certain kind of repartee with this definitely like defies that for the most part there are some friends where I feel like sorry for passing the gutters after the rain you can hear them um but 
Yeah, no, I definitely have some friends where I feel like just the things that we talk about or the way we talk about our interests are already suited towards something like a podcast. But with Dell and I, I think it's typically more of like catching up, current events, pop culture. And while that's like very interesting to us and that's why we talk about it and that's how we bond, that's not something that's necessarily accessible to everybody else in some way. And so I think that was part of like the strangest of our conversation is there's definitely times where I would like hold back on a transition I wanted to make or a comparison or this, that, or the other. And just for the sake, but it was also cool because this is part of why I wanted to do the podcast is because most of the time with friendships that like we've been friends for, we've known each other for eight years and we've been like good friends for probably five years. And you do fall into a routine, especially when you have to like work hard to like build the relationships like we talk about. And it takes a lot of effort to like reach out and obviously you're glad to do it and it comes naturally because of that love and care but you do have to carve out time in a day for like long distance friendships especially um so (laughs) the point is you get used to a certain way of interacting and you always kind of feel like you're playing catch-up and so I really wanted to use this even though it wasn't as like revolutionary as it might seem just that idea of like viewership, a slight questioning of how you interact, of like attendant, analyzing your tendencies in conversation with a person. It's fun. It was like, I don't know, I think it's an opportunity for me to further how I connect with people because um, we caught up for a bit before the episode started just so that I could tell her a little bit about the podcast. It's because I didn't really tell anyone until I was like do you want to be interviewed for this thing and they're like what thing and so no one really knew um and she didn't even know the name of it until we started um so I've just been that girl's tired I guess I don't know if you heard that but I said it a little too loud and a little too close whoops that's something I do I guess um but yeah that's I just wanted to be able to push friendships to a certain point and have us like question our dynamics and not that there's anything wrong with them but I know that like Dell told me in the little bit before I catch up um that she's like yeah well I've, we've known each other for so many years and you're still like an enigma to me honestly I was like yeah I don't mean to do that like it's not it's really not intentional because I think I have a tendency to just like deflect in a way maybe because it's honestly I don't because it's not the most conscious thing and because like I said it is just becomes a dynamic that you defer to I don't I haven't spent the most time thinking about this but I have a few ideas as to why I tend to just be like I'll answer quickly and kind of move on Unless, the other thing is, I have gotten good or much better about, like, telling people when something, like, difficult is going on in my life. Because I used to not say anything. But now, I'll be like, oh my god, this crazy thing happened. And they'll be like, oh my god, that's wild. Are you okay? This is, like, what I think about this. This is, like, how can I support you? 
we'll have like a whole little moment and we'll still be like bonded by each other's life events, uh, like calling and like times of need, whatever. But then we don't really follow up, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it's kind of like, huh, like I trust that they're doing okay, especially like my friends all know that I live and die by like, I'm always fine. I will always be okay. Like, I'm just so adamant about, like, not wanting people to worry about me and just wanting them to, like, rely on me and trust on me. Trust on me, trust in me, sorry. And I'm sure that that is a large part of why I do the deflecting thing, like I said. Um, But I don't want to deflect anymore. I want to let people in, show them how my life moves, how it breathes, how I make decisions, and I want to be there for them as well. But... At the same time, most of my friendships are long distance. And honestly, going to Shanghai, they're literally all going to be long distance until I make friends there, Um, which is a crazy thought. And unfortunately, like distance will limit any mode of communication. And I'm very lucky that I already have practice with people like Delphine in having long distance friendships so that way we can like be this involved even um and I'm sure we could like do more and I'd always love to and I honestly think that there'll be a point like later in life like late 20s baby um but I have like high hopes that maybe we'll live in like the same place again or just good chances for communion and for now I just know and I hope that she knows and I'm sure she does because I and that's one thing I am also good at that I'm very proud of is I tell my friends how much I love them, how much I care about them, and I always make sure that they know I'm there for them. So if nothing else, I hope that all these touch points that we have that the years can serve as like a little moment of like uplifting energy and just like pure support, pure bliss kind of thing, because that's what they do for me. And so, yeah. Um, but I was gonna say something but I guess the other possible reason for deferral or deflection rather but I don't deflection is just the best word I could come up with on the spot it would also be really funny I just realized if you could hear my burks this whole time you get a little duck action Um, but there's this YouTuber that I love because her and her fiance are the cutest ever They've been together. They started dating in high school, which was like, what, like, I think they celebrated their 12-year anniversary or something, and they've been engaged for probably a year, I want to say. Her name's Hannah Lee, and she used to do these videos called Heart to Hannah's a lot. Uh, She doesn't do them as often now, but she still does sometimes, but she talked at one point and this is something I had never considered and I was like oh like I I feel like that's not something I'd ever thought about it just hadn't crossed my mind at all she talked about how she didn't like telling people things about herself because she felt like she was giving away parts of her that she couldn't get back like she was like oh this person has part of my life I could never untell them like if they break my trust or if this thing happens or if we even just grow apart like you'll just feel a little fragmented with the bits that were given away. And she does a great job of explaining this because it's her 
her life, how she thought about it. Uh, but unfortunately, I do not know what year it is. But it's hard to Hannah. And all the videos are cute. They're good. Um, started watching her probably uh, three and a half years now. So especially in the start of COVID, I was like looking for something comforting. And she did that for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that that could also probably be a part of it. I don't know. It's like, I'm not good at telling people about little moments in my life. And I work really hard to, um, because it's not something that comes naturally to me, but because it doesn't come naturally, I'm sure that at some point I actively shut it off. And I've just, there was never a big moment that like, there's never some trauma around why I don't. I think it was just naturally a bit avoidant, a bit scared. And I'm sure it's probably just a result of like years of not thinking I was worth anything or good enough to take up space. And I was like, oh, like why would people want to know? And I think it also probably kind of operates under this rule I have of like, oh, I'm an open book. If you ask me anything, I'll tell you the truth. Um, but that kind of works in opposition to <laughs> the other ways that I am, where it's like, oh, like if I have something to say, I'll tell you. And so I've referenced this before, but I kind of worry that people then take that to be like, oh, she'll just tell us when about everything without having to ask. And so, I don't know, it's kind of funky. But I do think that is like uh, a difference in between my friendships and my romantic relationships, I guess, is that with my friendships, it is typically more based on like feeling and experience, like that shared energy and just being nothing but like a beacon of support, you know? And in romantic relationships, I think that's part of why maybe I'm so deeply ride or die as an individual. I mean, I am with my friends and with my family as well, but it's like, okay, you're my person, it's all or nothing. Woo, let's go. <laughs> um, is because in romantic relationships, I will tell you more about myself because to me, I want that to be the base of like, we under and to, to reference Jigsaw by Danis Loss, watch it if you haven't yet somehow. Um, I'll be checking Letterboxd, thank you. <laughs> it's only an hour, it's really good, I swear. But, like, I want to know my puzzle, I want to know your puzzle, and be able to make a shared one. But I think you really have to know somebody to do that, and... I think also, not that I don't do this with partners, but with friends, I also have, I go into it the mindset of like, we'll be there in each other's lives forever. And it's again, not something I take for granted, but it's just, I don't need to know everything right now. We don't have to like rush into the depths. Like I don't, I don't have to trauma them to feel connected. It's just, that's something that comes with time and I understand and I respect that. And it's not that I don't with romantic relationships, but it's, I want <laughs> to build something and it comes a lot more naturally and I just give more time to romantic partners, you know, or, or have, not, not, not having multiple, ah, poor, poor phrasing. It's strange to 
talk on my own now. Trying to recover, trying to bridge, trying to reflect. Um, oh boy. Oh, but there's also, there's also like the very romantic side of it because I am a very romantic person. I love to do things for others. And yeah, it comes very naturally, very easily to me. Um, but the whole Taylor Swift idea, I like the whole album folklore of like, your, I turn your life into folklore. And that's such a beautiful idea because to me, that then also connects to like the Frank Ocean lyric, wish we'd grown up on the same advice. Um, because it's talking about how all, to some deeper level, how all of your life experiences have really shaped who you are, how you see the world, and can make me understand how to love you, how to support you, but also how to learn from you and how we can so truly understand each other better, understand the rules that we have in our lives better. But it takes it, the, the, it gives extra depth to it. And it's like, oh, this is why, like this is the, the myth, the lore behind why you are the way you are. And that's so beautiful because I truly love every part of you and I truly accept it, even the parts that are different to me because I can see where you got this life lesson. I can see all the, everything that led to this moment. And it's cool. I don't think I articulated that well, but hopefully somewhere in here you get the point. I've also been so breathy, so out of breath. Um, but you know, uh, oh well, say lovey. We don't blame the sports, bro. It's literally, it's, it's brutal. Because the thing is, like, you want to be tight enough to actually support you. But to get any support with me, it's like, you're not going to breathe. You will not be able to digest food. You will just be uncomfortable the whole time. So, you know, but we move. We move, it's fine. Uh, but I feel pretty good. I like the idea of this little reflective element between the friendship episodes um, or the Zoom coffee chats, but I don't think I'll do it every time. Um, I'll try and like distance them out and have more proper points. But I also just, I keep thinking about the mukbang episode that I did in the first season. And I didn't get any feedback as to whether or not the chewing was annoying. But I just really liked doing that like little shorter episode. And I think then I honestly did a better job of like succinctly talking about where I was at. But I wanted to persevere here and do that. Because I feel like this is a real kind of turning point because the two weeks before going back to New York really feels like things are starting to ramp up and I'm really trying to continue my routines, continue doing my like six mile walk, my little workout, um, going to work. And despite excitement, I'm trying to stay grounded is essentially what I'm getting at. And I kind of have to like fight myself to do that now because for the longest time I wouldn't let myself think about the future at all because <laughs> I was like, it was like what I said with Delphine, even with um, 
reading or watching shows where I would feel two kinds of come downs, one from I'm not in this fun reality to two I'm, I'm in North Carolina and I don't, this is not my life. Um, but then similarly having that kind of excitement or something to look forward to just doesn't mesh well with me sometimes and it can make me a lot, can leave me devastated genuinely. Um, hello, Lambert. Um, so yeah, it's, it's okay. But now that I can feel excited and, or I'm letting myself fully be in the moment, feels like things are going to get easier. Um, just want to stay grounded, just keep these practices. And while I'm going to be interviewing friends, that probably means episodes will be a little less consistent because this is just such a busy time for so many people in my life because we're all in similar stages. That'll be like the end of college, graduation, starting work, traveling. So it's just been more difficult than I thought it would to coordinate. And in the midst of that, I don't want to forget the thing that has helped me all this time, which is this podcast. So yeah, but the sun is going down. This was just meant to be short. I will not belabor it any further. Thank you for listening. Um, also, F1's back this weekend. Leclerc on pole, this is beautiful. Okay. Um, really excited <laughs> for that. Um, okay. Anyway, love beams. Have a great weekend. Okay, interesting in one fashion. I lied. I'm not done. Um, but I kept, like, there was points throughout this where I'd find, like, a little bit of my spark, my energy again. I think that would just naturally kind of dull or subside um, with a persistent routine that its whole point was to keep me, like, in check <laughs> in a way, mentally. Um, but two things. One, never forget I'm a badass bitch. Don't you forget it ever, okay? Thank you. Um, full of life, full of love, full of energy. I'm an Aries forever and ever and ever, okay? Uh, <laughs> and two, like my one friend and I talked about, because when we were in Dublin, the three of us went, but there was one night where one of us took the train back from dinner, and the other two of us walked, we were like, I've, and we agreed. And I feel like, I, I always feel like crediting people for some reason. Like, I will always be like, oh, like, this exact person referenced something to me or is in this conversation that um, we decided this or we talked about this. And the thing is, I will do that. Like, sometimes I literally will not remember who it was <laughs> or when it was. Because, as again, in the podcast yesterday, I'm not a time-oriented person. I'm a place-oriented person. Um, but even if I truly don't recall who I agreed upon something with, I still feel a need to be like, this was a collaborative effort. <laughs> Not that I needed that, but this kind of consensus really solidified for me this feeling, which I will now say, instead of, oh my God, holding you hostage. <laughs> why, do, why do I choose these words? Um, but I was just the idea that Going on a walk, like, I've never in my life felt worse after a walk. I've only ever felt better in some capacity, physically, mentally, 
just every, <laughs> typically every way, if I walk and I just like keep walking, even when I don't want to, specifically like pushing through that part, I'm gonna be the happiest person ever. I love a good walk. And I'm so glad that I've been making myself do this. It's so fun. I have a great time. Uh, even if I'm just doing little laps, which I literally am doing in this neighborhood. Who cares? This is, this is me and my prime. <laughs> this is 22. <laughs> this is 22 until I get to New York. Um, jokingly crazy. Because um, I'll just be going right into finding a job and doing my master's. Um, but, you know, we'll have a little graduation celebration time. Some of the girlies have been messaging me. <laughs> I hear my name being called. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, that was my small. And one more thing. Um, I'm determined to be open for my friend and share this. Let's be open, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. But I really do. I want to be more. And this is maybe just spurred by a little video I saw where this girl's like, I just found out in a therapy that sometimes the length I'll, links I'll go for people, me just calling myself a ride or die, is a form of love bombing to prove my worth to people. But it also simultaneously shows them that I'll take anything and I'll be fine. And I'm like, damn, if that ain't me. And I'll take anything because I don't want people to think that like their forms of expression aren't enough because I know we're all in different points in our journey. And this is the point where my neutrality can cause stagnancy for other people. Then who am I to assume responsibility for someone else's growth? And that's why I'm just like, I'll be hands off, support you anyway, ask you how you would like me to do so. Um, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, and my de little defense mechanism goes up and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do if not just give out this care for these people? How is that love bombing? Why can't I love bomb? I'm never gonna stop. I'm just gonna like keep giving people love. So it's not like I'm taking it away. Oh, is that really what I'm signaling here? Oh, is it empty? I need to be seen as capable so bad. It's rough. Trying to let go of that. And that is something which I've alluded to before, but I think that working in a kitchen has really helped me with because there's so many times where I'll catch myself like almost getting defensive and my coworker will or whoever just like might get a little bit defensive. They're like, oh, but I was thinking, oh my God, sick cloud. I'll be like, oh, but I was thinking about it this way. Um, but like I said, like it's the kitchen is my boss's vision. Like it is an extension of herself. And regardless of if I was doing it a certain way or if this thing I thought was getting done here or if there was a different order, then it's like, you know what? Like, ultimately, it is her reality. We're all just living in it. So that's kind of like... And I have, I've learned to realize that it's not the end of the world um, to be, like, given a small correction, to be led in this way. And that's something that I've learned with my interpersonal relationships, specifically in romantic relationships where people, like, whoever I was seeing at the time would give me feedback and be like, oh, okay. Um, like, just approaching it very clearly, trying to understand and bridge those gaps. Um, so, yeah, letting go 
of even that part of ego of just just wanting to be seen as capable. Um, but to me, that's just like, I just want people to trust me. And I think it's probably because I wasn't given trust or like many people, not many people give me reasons to trust them. So I just never want people to be able to question where I'm coming from. But I understand that that can come across as empty. And I want, because this can all become symbolic of things that I want, why not act on them more thoroughly? Hopefully that makes sense. The sky is still so cool right now. Okay. Woo! <laughs> Swinson sound. Oh, I'm sorry, Ivy. It's rather late in the evening, and I've accidentally woken her with the start of this message. And I do realize that the cutie voice is probably horrific and like appalling. But how else am I gonna talk to this little baby? Hi. Oh, she does not want to be pet. She does not want to be acknowledged. Um, but I've had a nightmare. Stretch. Oh, I didn't expect to talk. I thought I was just gonna be like one of those things where you just stay in bed, like in a little bit of a zombie state until you awaken. My voice, my voice, my choice of words. Where did the P come from? Is poor. I think that's what I was getting at. Um, as a result, but I. Something I've just kind of been thinking about, it was like partially prompted, like brought to my attention, but then it was also just something that was a bit residual from my like current attempts to close the gaps in my friendships of like just being there for people and actually telling them about myself because um, I, ver- I decided that after each episode I'm going to record a little clip to include in the outtakes um, for this season of just, like, reviewing things, so it'll be addressed in, what, like, ten episodes, I guess? But I've been called, like, a little bit of an enigma by my friends where it's like, yeah, we'll be close, like, we've been close for a long time, but there's so much where I just, like, literally don't know about you. And I realize that it's partially, even though I've worked really hard to talk about my present more, And I feel as though I'm quite good at that now. I still very seldom will talk about, like, my childhood or anything like that. And I think it's just partially because I'm not a person that often reminisces. So it just doesn't come to mind that quickly. Like, it it takes effort to dig up. But I realize that that is important to friendships, you know, that you should take the effort or make the effort to dig things up. I don't know if you can hear that rustling. But there's this bag that I got from my master's program, and Grace Rapey loves to sit on it and make biscuits because she likes the crinkling sound. So that would be what it is. Um, <laughs> so rather than like, uh, this is going to be a practice in actively recalling my childhood, I guess. Um, and if nothing else. Now that my friends know about this, or some of them do, you guys can listen <laughs> and maybe know a bit more about me. Oh, hello. Grace Rip is now sitting on me. She's probably going to scream. 
She's a screamy beast. Um, but it was also honestly something I thought about, partially because of Grey Stripey. But there is Ivy attacked her, so now she's not on the bed. Uh, the play-by-play. I should be a sports broadcaster. Anyway, um, I was petting Grey Stripe the other day, and I felt like I was a little girl again. I was just like, "Whoa, that like this feels like a time portal," because even though we're so far away from Chicago and so far away in terms of time of way, the ways we once were, I can so distinctly. So I used to like I had like build the bears. And I had this, like, for the Build-A-Bear, it was a sequined pink tank top. But I thought it would be a cute dress on Grey Stripe. <laughs> I put it on her, but she was still such a tiny kitten at the time that she would just keep tripping over it. <laughs> it was so cute. Um, but, yeah, this was, like, I we've had Grey Stripe since even before the last house we lived in in Chicago. Um, which I would consider to be my childhood home, the one before, even though the second one, I would say, like, I lived there for all of high school plus, like, a year. And then my first year of university um, was where I came back to before my mom moved to North Carolina. And that house was on, uh, I don't see the Harmon saying it now, it was on Raven Street in Chicago in Norwood Park. And then we moved to Old Norwood Park and on a street called Hurlbutt. I still think it's funny. Um, also, fun fact about Old Norwood Park, it's like it used to be a horse racing track. Um, although the standards for the length of a horse race are different now, so it's no longer like standard size. But there's a big loop around the neighborhood, and during like peak COVID, I would just do like walk laps around that neighborhood and envision my life in New York. And then I get accepted to NYU uh, to transfer. I don't know if I said this, but I never applied um, to NYU in high school because my mom... I went to New York a lot in high school because that's where my mom's boyfriend lived. Uh, so we would just go and see him sometimes for, like, breaks, whatever, long weekends. Because uh, I quit swimming when I realized that I wasn't going to... Um, do it in college. Like, I was recruited heavily D1 and all of that, but I just didn't want to anymore. So we toured NYU or I went to some, like, seminar thing. I don't really know what it was, but I I just didn't vibe with NYU. I was like, I'm, I'm okay, I'll pass. But I realized that it must have been for, like, CAS or something because I thought it was just, like, standard, kind of boring, and I just hadn't heard of Gallatin until I went to Northeastern my freshman year. Um, but anyway, I was playing Grey Stripe, and I just remembered literally being 10 years old and <laughs> in my childhood home, putting on these putting these dresses on my kitten. And it just felt so vivid and so real, and it brought me to such a place of, like, oh, I wonder if she remembers this. I remember if she remembers all the ways we used to be. Um, and if that's why she's kind of grumpy now. Because she's a pretty grumpy kitty. She sleeps a lot. But every once in a while she'll come out just determined to be picked up to be pet and loved the way she always was when she was little. Um, because for the longest time we had three cats. And she was the youngest of them. 
And so she was used to being, like, the little sister of the cats, or, like, she always had the kitten energy. So when Ivy came, and Ivy is the neediest thing. I love that. I love to attend to this needy kitty. But my mom and I, like, we literally call her Velcro because she, the second you lay down, is on you. Like, she's laying on your chest, on your neck. You cannot breathe. And... (laughs) It's endearing. It's so sweet. It makes you slow down in the most wonderful way. Uh, She has no thoughts in her head. She's pretty dumb. But Graystripe is a smart cat. And, you know, that like those instances of her being like overwhelmingly there screaming for attention. She likes to paw up the leg. She's always done that. So cute. And whenever she gets like excited or riled up, her tail goes like sticks up straight and is really fluffy. And when she was a small kitten, we used to call it, um, we would call her an exclamation point. That's just what her tail looked like. Um, So yeah, I've just been thinking a lot specifically about that time in my life, probably ages like 10 to 13, especially because it's probably the least documented era that I've ever had um, because I was so insecure um that I just would not allow photos to be taken of me at all and like my mom takes pretty bad photos of me in general (laughs) but I've gotten to an age where I just like don't care I accept it I I'm not so frazzled I know myself well enough to not be rattled by like a singular poor image you know there are definitely like days where it's like I, I just don't need to see a photo that was taken of me and sometimes that's the easier route. But I won't deny her of that anymore because I know it makes her happy. And at the time, I was just too entangled in being a very, like, severely, like, a chronically anxious individual, severely depressed with chronic depression then, not even just a seasonal affective disorder. Um, but I was one of those, one of those kids because I was, I was a kid. <laughs> I was, like, very chronically online, very much on Tumblr. Um, But to me, luckily, honestly, I was a part of, like, very, like, safe-feeling fandoms. And I understand that with any niche or fandom, you can... It could go awry. But I liked Doctor Who because in, I want to say, like, fourth grade, one of my best friends at the time... um, I feel like it, maybe it's okay to say childhood friend names, but her name's Natalie. And she wrote like a book when we were kids. It was crazy. And one of our, in my English class, so this was in sixth grade, um, because in sixth grade, that was the first time that we had like, we didn't just have one teacher the whole day, if that makes sense. I feel like there was a couple of classes in fourth and fifth grade where we would go to another teacher's room for the day, or not for the day, for like, um, a period to have that class. Maybe it was just fifth grade. I don't know. I'm getting a little confused now. And anyway, not the point. I'm talking about sixth grade. So we, had, we split the day into even thirds, but we'd start off with like a homeroom and that was like your main teacher sort of thing. So we were, and that would be the cohort that you'd like move through the day with. And so Natalie was in mine. And this was at a school. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say the school. Not that it matters, but I just 
um, it'd be pretty easy to guess if, if you know Norwood Park. There's not many schools. Um, but the day was split into thirds, and whenever we got to English, there would be like a word of the day, and we would do like a little five to ten minute activity at the start of class. Where I think it was maybe five minutes. Not that that's that important, but you would just have to use the word in like a short story that could only take up a page, and. Natalie and I were always like, it was genuinely in the best spirit because Natalie is the sweetest person ever. We would both like read our story every day and it'd get voted on for like, who's is better? And it, we had, it was like pretty even split. Um, but yeah, no, she was great. But she got me into Doctor Who because she came from like a very sweet, like kind of nerdy family, you know? Like the, just those families that it's just, you go into their home and it's like, wow. This is capital H home. It's so cozy here. Um, and I love any house that my mom makes in her image. But it was something where it was like literally as a small child, like I'd have friends over and they'd be like, oh my God, your house looks like it's like out of a magazine because it's so like neat, orderly. And I'm very much that way too, where as much as I like sentimental pieces, I still want it to be part of the whole. I don't really need it to be that kind of immersive thing. Although, I feel like I talked about this in the swimming episode. There was this one girl I was really close with for a while. Um, or we were all very close, but it was just like... we At that time, we all spent the most amount of... We spent the most of time at her house. And it was where she had like all these siblings. They're all much older than her. But it was so like lived in of a space and it was great to like have all the little I definitely talked about it because it was the thing where it's like oh the if something if a door slides and hits something in the same place it'll chip away at the wood and that's how you can tell life was lived there but they had books everywhere they had board games and it was like the most kid-friendly home it was great so I've always just had an appreciation for all types of ways that people inhabit space as a result. Um, but I think just because of the kind of person I am, I am very grateful that my mom is similar in that we need stuff to be like out of sight, out of mind. It's like it for both of it is for both of us it is just very true that if the space is messy then your mind is nowhere to be found. The one thing my mom does that <laughs> annoys me is that she doesn't always close cabinets or drawers. And so there'd literally be times where, I'd, like, if she moved through the kitchen, I would have to go behind her and close everything. Otherwise, the knowledge of it being open would annoy me. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I really liked Doctor Who. And, like, I also really liked Dodie um, in a similar era, but that might have been, like, a year or two later. I'm not sure. Um, but the point is, what that kind of translated to is that, especially because this was also, like, peak, quote-unquote, British YouTuber era, as I just liked British things, like a British energy. And I still very much do. I mean, I studied abroad in London. You don't really do that if you don't appreciate it. Because there were a lot of people that went to London I think expecting it to be like a pretty isolated metropolitan energy, even though it is like every part of the UK, despite like 
how different north and southern northern and southern divides are, despite like how heavily classist it is, how heavily like racist some things can be. Um, it's like it in all sorts of ways. Those each of those elements have deep histories that make every aspect of it like British in its own way. And so to come in and expect a remove just because there are similar issues to the U.S., I feel like is a bit naive. And even if I went in for cultural reasons as a child, liking the U.K., like, or liking, like, British culture, if you will, um, it lended me to, like, always being interested in, like, keeping up with, like, politics. And so I've always been aware. And so I guess it was less of a culture shock for me than for some people. Because I know some people had a really difficult time adjusting even coming from New York. Um, but I loved it. London, it's a good time. But I still love the countryside. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but anyway, very much, I kind of, so something I did recently again, in light of, like, petting my cat, thinking about this time in my life, is I was looking at old pictures, and there's one of my 13th or 14th birthday, I want to say. And I, again, in, like, a bit of a British <laughs> mood, I made bunting, with which is, like, many Americans, like, don't know this word, which is fair enough, I guess, but it's, like, the flags that are kind of, like, a banner of flags, you know? But I had my name on it in, like, big letters with all these different colored papers. I had such, like, fun, a really fun colored comforter. And the room, my room was so lively. And I had my posters all framed on the walls, whatever. And so I, the point is I made bunting with my name on it. <laughs> then I put above my bed. And, yeah, I just started decorating a little bit more because I think I'm always... Because my mom's moved a lot lately, I just haven't... With her first house in Raleigh-Durham, I, like, put a lot of effort into, like, doing a whole photo wall, getting new framing and stuff. And then we, she moved here when I wasn't here to, like, help move um, to the house where we are. It's still in Raleigh-Durham. But I just haven't, like, put in a ton of effort since. And so this is my way of, like, doing small things to enter the space. And I also... Um, I'm drying some flowers, but I just taped them to the wall. And just trying to do whatever I can to embrace it. But this also just goes back to what I was saying, again, in another episode of ignoring routine doesn't mean one won't form. And you might as well curate it, do things. So it's like, yeah, I'll just make some fun little adjustments. And... In this case, kind of, like, not intentionally, the color scheme of this room has become a bit purple, or there's just a lot of purple accents, and that's not something I expected, but with any of my rooms, there is, and I feel like maybe this is true for most people, but just rather organically, a, a core color will kind of come through, and in... Um, my last apartment, I want to say that it was like kind of red, mostly red. And the one before it was definitely, in London, the flat was definitely red. But my um, studio 
on Tompkins before was definitely like a sage green kind of thing. And my first apartment in New York was pink. Um, stuff like that. There's just always, always a cork color, which is fun. But also, some little lore. Um, at this one school uh, I went to for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, I, I transferred schools a lot, not because like anything would happen with regarding it to me, but it was just like going to school in Chicago, things change a lot. Um, so it's like, even if, I always went to like good schools, but that meant that like if a school somewhat nearby that wasn't as good shut down, it would like influx into our school, there'd be less resources and it would just like be pretty noticeable. So my mom would have me transfer so that way I could like stay in a good school, if that makes sense. Um, so every like couple of years I would transfer, but this school was the longest I had been anywhere until I went to high school. And it, like, it's still true because I transferred to colleges and then graduated early, uh, or universities, rather. Um, high school, those four years, that's the longest I've ever been at a school. So I was perpetually the new kid growing up, but I stayed at this one where I met Natalie for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And in fourth grade, I became like best friends with this one girl who I feel like I might have talked about before. I don't know, but... If I, if I have, it's this one story. If I haven't, then here's a new story. Um, but her and I, we were, we were really close. She's, um, she was great. But she, was, she just was not as smart as me. And that was like, at the time, especially being big, very much liking Tumblr and like the 1975 intelligence <laughs> or like the perception of it was a big thing for me and I just took deep pride in being a smart person like book smart especially even though I was also more street smart than her she was a little sheltered um she's still like very great person but I was also better at her in sports and we just did a lot of the same things and there was that whole complex um and there was one time we went to mini golf it was just her me and my mom and she was beating me in mini golf. And I had the biggest meltdown in the middle of the course. And my mom was like, you go to the end. I'm going to finish this game with her. Have fun. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's right. Um, and I feel like, I literally feel like that might be why to this day, I still don't want a friendship based on respect um, because it's just like a gateway to that kind of complex, whether or not like a party wants to participate or not. Like in this case, like I could feel that this one friend of mine like respected me in some ways. And I was like, I don't want that pressure. I think partially like reactionary because I know how I am when I feel like I have to live up to like a god image, you know? Um, so, but the thing with Minigolf is also, I was just, like, as I got more frustrated, the worse I got. Um, so, that was funny. But also, side note, um, when one of my friends and I went to Cornwall when we were studying abroad, um, <laughs> on the last day, we, our, our coach back, to the city wasn't until I want to say like 10 or 11 at night because we took a red eye both ways because we thought it'd be like a fun adventure 
we were both so sick on the way there. Like, not nauseous. Like, we came down with a cold uh, that it was just brutal to be on a bus for that long. Um, but we had, like, the whole day. So we, did, we were like, we kind of ran out of activities because we didn't want to go anywhere. We couldn't really go back to the hostel. So I just played mini golf for a while. It was fun. Um, and I'm now mature enough that I don't know which of us won or lost. And I don't care because it was a good time. And we had a burrito. It was pretty good. Um, it was a new key in Cornwall. I liked it. That was such a great trip. Corn, that, like that little Cornwall adventure, despite being... S- it's so absurdly ill. Um, but honestly, it lives rent-free in my mind. I think about it very often. And I'm also someone where rather than recall details, I very much tend to remember how I felt about it. Because there's that one quote that I just like read as a kid that very much stuck with me as it's people will remember how you made them feel, not what you said. And I've since learned some people will remember to a T what you say. Um which is, like, fine, but I was like, damn, the quote led me a little astray. And I just happen to be someone where that is true, where I just remember the feeling more than the content necessarily. So I'll just remember, like, the energy of a place or a trip. And I am a little bit, like, as a writer, um, I am a bit... I don't really write poetry, like, ever. I've been trying to do more. Um, but I am rather poetic, which is just, like, very much leaning into the lens of which you view things. And so because I view things by vibe, I can, I think that lends itself to my writing being, like, a bit pretty in some ways. Um, uh, or ornate, maybe. Because I then, my goal is to convey that feeling rather than the... the nitty-gritty and I think also to me the nitty-gritty also just comes across as like keeping score to some degree because that's how it was in like my worst relationships it did not matter what I said like it could be the most normal statement you've ever heard um like I had this for dinner on Tuesday and at like I wish this was an exaggeration but like I, I mean, I don't recall like the details because that's the whole point is I don't do that. But they would be like, you remember this this time when you weren't free or you said this thing with this tone? And I was like, this is over text message. How can you read tone? Um, and because of like how on my phone I had to be for some of these early relationships and how like deeply controlled and like kept tabs on, I, I was, that grammar is atrocious. Um it's what, five in the morning? Oh, it's 5.30 now. Cool. I forgot I was talking and that time passes. <laughs> um, but I just got so used to like everything I said being of like the gravest importance to meaning of interpretation of being like picked out and having to be so careful all the time, but having to be so attentive and so on top of things that it was literally just like, um, I, I just never wanted to do that to anybody else. And so that's also part of why I'm someone where if I have a problem, I'll say it in the moment, if for no other reason, then I literally will not remember, you know? Hi, Grace JP. <laughs> she just came on the bed and then jumped off. 
Um, okay, but anyway, this girl who I played golf, mini golf with when I was in fourth grade, we were inseparable. We did everything together, um, especially because I've had this one friend for my entire life. I talk about him in the spirituality episode, um, like helping him study for CCD and stuff like that. But he moved, so we we went to school together uh, on and off because of the weird school stuff, and we didn't live, like, we lived close to each other but not right next to each other. Um, so we went to school on and off together in Chicago until he moved to the suburbs in fourth grade. So even though I saw him, like, every month, we did horseback riding together, we would, like, I'd sleep over, um, we'd go to the mall a lot, hot topic, <laughs> specifically <laughs> but we don't need to talk about that moving on swiftly um actually I'll, I'll pause we both really liked five seconds of summer literally since their inception in like 2011 2012 depending on what you count as like formal the formal institution because the band members like switched out a bit i know so much because i've literally been with the band since the beginning since like the keek video days not kick keek um it's crazy uh, but he, he calls, so he really likes Luke Hemmings and I like Callum Hood. Callum Hood to this day, pretty much my only celebrity crush or like very definitive one, definitive one. Uh, so I call him Callum and he calls me Luke. So I can just refer to him as Callum, I guess. Um, but anyway, like in the, in my day-to-day life, there is still like this hole, I guess. And that this person that I went to school with in fourth grade, going to a new school, um, kind of filled that, but I don't want to say it, phrase it like that because everyone's their own, everyone holds their own worth. And that very much was not the lens with which I viewed it, but it was just like, I've always known from day one that like no one's going to, no one's going to be a better friend to me than Callum. Callum's my best friend for my whole life. He is literally my heart and soul. We are the same person. Um, but anyway, just girl. And I, we were fourth grade, chilling, fifth grade. There were these girls that she was friends with in third grade before I came along, who all of fourth grade, she told me about how shitty they treated her, these three girls. Um, and she told me about how mean they were to her and because of, like, she's not the smartest, she's not the most, like, capable in sports either, and this was a very athletically driven school, um, which I excelled in. Top of all the sports, baby. No big deal. Um, <laughs> imagine flexing about being in fifth grade. Uh, but it's just in my blood. It's just au naturel. That's what I'm getting at. No, I'm kidding. I'm not, but I am. But I also know that at this point, I I need to get... I need to... We, we still need more play in my life. Anyway. In fifth grade, she was like, oh, like, I kind of want to hang out with them again sometimes. So the five of us became a little friend group. And... I think that the girls had, like, been... Uh, this is, like, how I understood at the time. Was the girls had been mad that they felt like I took away the person that they could, like, put down to make feel better about themselves. And so they started, like, targeting me. And they started telling this girl that I had been so close with, like, literal lies about me. But because she had already, like, formed a need to be liked so badly... She just kind of, like, left me in the dust. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing this. And that's how I became friends with someone like Natalie. Or I guess I'm not saying the other name. I, 
well, why am I saying one name? I guess because it's in a positive light. It's weird how I decide these things. Um, but anyway, like her and then this one girl who moved to Florida shortly after. Her name's Gabby. She was also lovely and just kind of let me... I became friends with more people rather than... I think before my whole life I'd been like a one person is my best friend kind of thing. And I still do like to do individual friendships. And I think that's part of why, like that little instance is why I literally still don't do friend groups to this day. But it's partially because um, I think I mentioned this. So I recorded a podcast episode that I thought would be like a little fun and flirty thing about um, like being in high school, do all the crazy things I got up to. And then I realized that I probably shouldn't put that out. Not that there's like anything bad, but it's just like, you know, <laughs> I don't need to talk about it um, on in a public sphere. And nothing uncouth, if you will. But I think this is when I explained this part just as a prelude to high school is that in seventh grade, I had a friend group again because I went to an academic center, or Taft Academic Center, I guess I can just say it. Um, even I can say the other school, why does, how do I decide these things? I don't really know. Um, which is basically just like in seventh and eighth grade in, in an academic center, you get high school credit. And theoretically, you would just like graduate from high school a year early, but most people will stay in high school for the full time and just take AP classes. So that way you can graduate college early like I did. Um, so Taft is not a good school. <laughs> it's like, it's just not. Um, but they have an IB program, they have an AVID program, and then they have that academic center. And there's only a handful of high schools that had an academic center and I just lived the closest to Taft. So even though I got in, like I was going to go to the Jones one. Um, was I? No, I was going to go to Jones for high school. There is no Jones Academic Center. I'm insane. I wanted to go to Whitney. Um, Whitney Young. That's where Michelle Obama went to school. Anyway, <laughs> you know, Chancellor Rapper went to Jones. Who? This is useless information. But I always feel a need to detail whatever comes to mind for some forsaken reason. But it was just like closest one to me, so that's where I decided to go. And I became friends with these three girls. And we were besties. It was the time of my life. It was so good. We were so, it was so fun, so funky. Um, we all traded music. We all got along so well. And it was just a great time. And I think like four was a really good number because these two girls like kind of already knew each other before. And then me and this one girl swam together. And so I think four is like, I think four is a pretty like good number for a friend group because you can have like that kind of dual split, but then still feel close and like connected on a whole and not just divest, if you will. But in eighth grade, five seconds of summer comes back into the story. Five seconds of summer, a thread in my life, you know? <laughs> but on the first day, I was wearing my five seconds of summer shirt because I had seen them open for One Direction in concert over the summer, you know? I think it was a Take Me Home tour. Um, imagine knowing that. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> oh, God. I'm a little crazy for that to this day. I remember what I wore, too. But we, we don't need to talk about it. Um, 
will I admit this? I guess I'll admit this. But this is just a trope. But it's, it's like a thing where it's like 14-year-old girls like shaving for a concert. Uh, it was crazy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> it was hilarious. But not that I was, I think I would have been 13 at the time. But this girl came in wearing the same shirt. And she was like, she had just transferred to the academic center that year. Um, and she was like, oh my God. And so I was like, I came up to my finger. I was like, you're never going to believe this. This girl's in with us. She's, we're taking her in. Come on. <laughs> just because of that. There's no one in my finger, as much as I could get them to like any other music. I got them to like some of my screamo bands that Callum introduced me to. Um... Because it had literally been, like, years, and I had, like, Screamo, but I also like Five Sauce and, like, One Direction. So was, you never knew what you were going to get with me um, in terms of music. But I was like, she, she likes Five Sauce. We're doing this thing. And then um, we, like, had fun. We had a good time. And this girl who also liked Five Sauce, she and I also had our own, like, good friendship because we did all of the sports together because she was also like very athletic so we had a good time doing that having our own little vibes our own little moment and I think it was just a good time it was like fun we were like with high schoolers we weren't the seventh graders um so it was like we had we got the hang of things but also it was crazy because that school is two floors with four thousand people and the passing periods are two minutes but for, like, the language classes, we had to go to the far side of, like, the high schooler's wing. And we had, like, an academic center wing, which was more than two minutes if the halls were empty. And cliche as it is, I ran. I ran like a <laughs> motherfucker to get to class. I was also the gym was over there. And you had to, like, change within the two minutes. And I was like, literally, how the fuck did I do that? Because when I got to high school, we had seven-minute passing periods with like less than a thousand kids and three floors so I was like this is so nice this is luxury this is uh, a better institution (laughs) um so yeah but by the end of the year we all knew we were going to high school and because Chicago has like a selective enrollment system if you I mean you can just go to your neighborhood school but I I don't know I don't know it Anyone that just did neighborhood school, like everyone that I know at least did like a special program, even if you stay even if they stayed at Taft, they did IB usually. Um, because for seventh and eighth grade we did IB also. Um, or like some like lead up to IB thing. I don't really know what it was. Um but basically my friend group, we were all going to different schools, um, except for me and this one girl the one that I swam with, we were going to the same school. And I, th- I, I to this day, like, can't quite source why this happened. Like, maybe it was because of how the former friend group went. Maybe it was just because I knew that I always lost contact with other people. Um, but maybe I was just scared. But I started, like, avoiding my friend group, and I would just go eat lunch alone in the library every day. Well, not alone. There was someone I had a crush on that also ate lunch there sometimes. And so that was fun. <laughs> and I would just talk to him sometimes. But this was the point. 
Uh, I would just read or I literally sometimes would like eat in the bathroom and like nothing happened. Like we didn't disagree. I just like started doing that because I was convinced they hated me. So I think I was also just like at that point, my like social anxiety was really bad and I just wasn't in a good place mentally because swimming. Hello. Hi, baby. Yeah. I'm talking about you. (laughs) She's so strange. Um. So I guess it was just a lot of things at once. And then the stress of that, like, big change really took a toll on me. But eventually my friends, like, obviously, they're going to (laughs) notice. And like, hey, what's going on? And so I told them. And I had never, like, talked about mental health before. Because even with my best friend, Callum, him and I, like, it was just kind of an unspoken thing that both of us were, like, unwell. Um, Except for a few instances that I won't, like, discuss at all. Um, where it was a bit, a bit more overt, but it just wasn't something we talked about. It wasn't something to be addressed with my mom because to her, it's like, especially at that age. Um, and I didn't understand this, like how hard being a parent can be for someone who was traumatized because she had a really difficult life. But to her is the kind of thing where it's like, your life is so much easier than mine. How could you still not be happy? How did, like, how it can feel like a personal failure. And at the same time, it's so much more than they ever had. Um, but I told them about like all of this mental health stuff. And I went to like therapy soon after. And that's when I was diagnosed um, with um, the chronic depression and the chronic anxiety, severe anxiety. I was like, oh, damn, I didn't know it was severe. (laughs) I thought this was normal. And then it's not. Um, But they're also understanding. And we stayed, like, in really good touch that first year of high school. But um, the girl that I went to high school with, obviously, we didn't have, like, every, all of our classes together. Because in 7th and 8th grade, we had, like, taken the same language. There isn't, like, much room for, like, movement between courses. And we just took the same electives, whatever. Except for art, I don't think. She took that. I think she took a band or something. Um, I'm an art kid. What can I say? <laughs> I, I am. Unfortunately, that is true. Not unfortunately. That's the best kind of people. Um, I'm just not good enough. Then that's the unfortunate part. I still am just a very creative person. And this is where I get into the whole, it's okay to be like embrace being bad at your hobbies. Because I was bad at art, but I have fun. It was a good time. I was good at digital art photography stuff like that but I took a sculpture class in high school it was a good time but I was not good um anyway (laughs) I was derailed so badly and so that first year she like I feel like I've talked about this but I do think it was in the episode where I talk about things that I make it non- publishable and we just got she had gotten really close to this one other girl and I still in some ways was stuck with this mentality of like you have one best friend and I couldn't like handle it and so I it was definitely my fault but like forced a bit of a falling out and so we just weren't friends after that and then I went on my whole other high school journey whatever cool don't really feeling you need to get into that because this point is supposed to be a bit more childhood targeted. Um, but her and I, like, a year later, because we still swam together on the high school team, had a bit of, like, had a little, like, heart-to-heart. 
And it was it was like very small, but because of the kinds of people we were, it's like we understood what was being said, you know, and because we knew each other so well. Um, that was, it was nice. It was like a good kind of closure. We still like follow each other on social media, still like amicable, but it's, you know, it's just like I will literally, anybody that I have ever been close friends with, it's amazing. It's also like I'm so driven by friendship that when I'm trying to talk about my life, I literally can only talk about the people I've known. And with any, literally anybody I've mentioned, for better or for worse, I could tell you everything that I remember about them from start to finish. Like, I care so much, and I always will and will only ever want the best um, for anybody that I've known in any, like, capacity of this kind where friendship is involved. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Um... But yeah, I'm so emotional. Oh my god, I might cry. Yeah, it was nice. Seventh and eighth grade, that friendship. Uh, and it makes you kind of a lot of them. So when we fell out, I I was a thousand percent in the wrong, and I I recognize that. Um. So I. The friend group up until that point, we'd like kept together in all like odd ways for like a year and a half after graduating seventh and eighth grade, and for the most part, they all still stayed like friends. Uh, the four of them, and I like I still know all of their birthdays and stuff like that, even though we don't really always say that to each other anymore. Um, it's weird that we've graduated both high school and college now. Oh. <laughs> oh man. Um but it was one of their birthdays the other day. And one of us uh doesn't have Instagram because it just wasn't good for her mental health ever. Um and she's such a soft soul. She's the most lovely person, human being you could ever imagine meeting. Um but the other two that do have Instagram, or the other two, aside from the girl whose birthday it was, posted for her birthday. And literally, like, even though I'm not a part of that anymore. Oh, my God. Whoa. How do I get so high-pitched? Even though I'm not a part of that anymore, it still makes me so happy to, like, see that or even be able to observe the ways in which they're still connected. But, so in my Instagram bio, it's it's the name of a book, but wouldn't take nothing from my journey now. I'm so, like, grateful that things still went the way they did, that I fucked up in the ways I did, that, like, I apologize, and that doesn't necessarily make things better, but I'm glad that I strayed. Because in a weird way, like, leaning into those, like, worst fears, those worst anxieties, I understood them better as I will work through them in therapy. And I've, like, healed parts of myself. And even though, like, I no longer have those urges to always, like, self-destruct the best friendships in my life out of fear. Um, I don't have, I don't, 
like I literally don't understand that mindset anymore. And at the time I did know, like I had some comprehension and now it's just so unfathomable to me. And I can accept it. I can like have love for myself and where I was in that point in time. But I'm not tied to those cycles anymore. Like if I had stayed in the friendships that made me who I was at that point, then I never would have grown past it. And it's not to say that these people aren't growing in their own ways, but they have decided their boundaries by sticking to the places that made them. And there is nothing righteous or better about the path that I'm taking. And the path that I'm taking is one where I very actively have left my Chicago community I'm going to be leaving my New York community. Uh, Like, things like that. Like, I just... Or I left Boston. Even though I keep in touch with the people that I was, like, close to in all of these places. It's because I will disassociate a person from the place. And I will make our connection about us, if that makes sense. So, like, one of my best friends... Delphine! Hey! Hey, girl! (laughs) So she's one of my best friends from high school. But it doesn't, like, when I think of her, I don't process that it's because of Chicago. I don't process it's because of high school. I just see it as, like, oh, it's her and me in this world. You know what I mean? So I just don't want to be so bound by place. And I do feel like if I had stayed in those friendships at the times when I departed, then this would not be who I am. This would not be the ways that I am. And I love the people in my life so much that I can only be grateful for the roles that those friendships made me play. Or, I guess, sure, that works. That phrasing works. Um, So, yeah. Very grateful for everyone. And, I don't know. Let's see. Let's think about days in my life. So... In the summer, every August, I would spend, well, until I got a little older and better at swimming and my championship season would go longer in the summer or I was just, like, more serious about it. Because, um, like, I started making state, like, less than a year into when I started swimming, which was in 2008 when I was seven. So by the time I was eight, I was making, like, state cuts or, like, double A. I don't know if why you know this, but swimming cuts have like graded letters Um, and a state cut is usually an A time but it depends on the state because Illinois, California and Florida and I think New York maybe are the best swim states in the country and the US is the best swimming country in the world woohoo so there are like different cuts state by state obviously to make it fair uh, but these are national standards for cuts so I was doing on double A times by the by eight, uh, but I still wasn't like serious then because it just been a year and that did, like didn't really mean anything to either my mom or I because she played basketball like in college too. Um, I, I don't know what she did for all of college. I think she might have stopped. Um, but what should we call it? 
I was just like swimming just didn't necessarily mean a lot to her. So I would still spend every August with my dad in San Diego and La Jolla specifically. And I don't know. It was like, I guess I'll just describe the house of it. But we had, it was, I will not detail, I won't give up the address or even the street name because um, my dad's ex still lives there. I think, or as, at least as far as I know, so there's no point, in, you know. Oh, but it was right by the beach, um, like two blocks away. It was south of the cove and all of those like popular points, um, or downtown La Jolla, I guess. Uh, it's near Rigoberto's. I love Rigoberto's. Uh, <laughs> it's a taco shop. Uh, but it was. So all, most of the houses were on, like, the forefront of the street, as you would. Like, it was just, like, brought up. But we had this little, like, corridor that had, like, the bougainvillea over it. Um, the little, made a little archway that felt like a little secret tunnel into the house. It was so magical. And so there is a little, when you get to the house, there's, like, a little opening for the front patio. There's a little side yard where we had a garden. And I would always, like, help do the gardening whatever and there's a small grassy area also in the front with a hammock and I napped in that hammock all the time you know I was in that hammock and we had a little bird fountain because there's a lot of hummingbirds or a little fountain that a lot of hummingbirds came to and I just remember always having to like clean it clean the windows stuff like that and then you walk in and it's the living room and we have this like nice like l-shaped couch that's really soft and like a kind of deeper olive green I guess and so my dad's like girlfriend I guess I mean yeah because they never got married but they were together for like 12 years literally a few years after my mom and I my mom and my dad divorced and my mom and I moved to Chicago when I was like two um so by the time I was four until I was like 13. Um, but I, this, until 13, because I just stopped going to California after that um, and didn't really see my dad until high school graduation when I was like 18. So they were still together. They broke up sometime in there. Not that that's important, I guess. But that's, again, I just always feel the need to be specific. So there you go. Um, so I just like always knew her. So she just felt like, an extension of like family because she was and so she had two daughters she had one older daughter and then uh one younger one but they're both a lot older than me but they were half sisters and so I just considered them like stepsisters and they were the point is this lady she was very like artsy like she did a lot of watercolors or not watercolors like like I mean, she did do watercolor sometimes, but she did a lot of, like, acrylic painting, landscapes of the beaches, the cliffs, stuff like that. But they also knit and cooked and baked a lot. Um, so the point is, there, I, the blanket that I really remember was this red one that she had knit, my, like, stepmom. And it was just always on the couch. Um, and there is a little round table, and then we got to the kitchen with the island, where we made homemade pizzas like once a week, or once every few weeks. Um, also, they are the, re- <laughs> the my stepmom taught me how to read nutrition labels, literally when I was like six, 
um, in the grocery aisle. She's like, this is important. And just so like, so deeply villainized food for me for such a young age. This definitely did not help with the swimming eating disorder community. Um, But anyway, she's probably why I'm so like good at cooking and baking and whatever. But they had like, they literally had a little studio just for painting. But my slightly older stepsister still lived there, the older, the oldest one. I was already in college. She went to UCLA. Um, I went to her graduation. I remember that. Um, But so, yeah, you turn just before the kitchen, you turn to the left, bathroom's on the right, stairs up to the second floor, which was just my dad and my stepmom's room. And then you hit the end of the hall and my room's on the right. You turn left, the art room is on the right, and then it was my older sister's room. And she had these, like, cute little heart pillows. And I was like, oh, they're cute. And I was like, I was like, oh, like, here, you can, like, use it while you're here. And she got so mad about that. I remember that very vividly. <laughs> and I was like, it's a pillow. You'll, you can have it back. And I was, like, eight years younger than her. And I think this was when I was still, like, pretty new to the family. Um, so I was just, I was quite a sensitive small child and I've just always been someone who like again this is presumptuous and I know now that like it takes away autonomy from people but I just like I just always assumed everything was my fault I'm the worst person in the world not to cite the movie um that kind of thing so I just like took it so hard and that's why I literally remember it to this day about like making her at all upset because I looked up to her so much, and I was like, oh my god, she's such a, like, cool older sister. She does all this art stuff. She's so creative. She's so smart. She's literally, last I checked, she was doing her PhD at, like, Berkeley. Um, so she's still balling. I think it's an engineering thing, too. Um, so she still, like, is so cool. She played water polo, all that stuff. And I was like, wow. she's so, And I was just so devastated to have let her down in any way. And all I was trying to do was, like, uh, like imitate her. Um, so, yeah, but it was in the summer. My stepmom, like, would go to work a lot. Um, my stepsister was, like, split the time between her mom and her dad's house and then also did all sorts of stuff. So the only person, for the most part, it was, like, me and my dad every day, but he still had to work. But he had most of the stuff on, most of his work just, like, in a com- on his computer in the garage because he had an office in there. And so a lot of my days were kind of still to myself. So our early morning ritual would be that we would go to this cafe in downtown La Jolla. I'd get a chocolate chip cookie. We'd play some, like, tetherball at the recreation center because I fucked with tetherball, and I was ass at it. My dad would whoop me every time because he did not make it easier for a small child. He still played at his level. I'm still like determined and I thought I could get it. Or I played basketball, he taught me how to throw football, um, played tennis, whatever, sport of the day. And then we'd go across the street to the library and I'd pick out like books for the week. So that way, whenever I was alone, I had stuff to do. I would read, I'd watch TV, sit on the hammock, whatever. And at the end of like most days, we'd go down to the beach, pick rocks, uh, like pick or I pick shells climb the rocks because the beach that was near us has a lot of like 
cool small tide pools kind of thing. And on the weekends, we would go more to downtown La Jolla, to the cove. Um, and I'm like, I think this is the name of it, but there's something called Sandy Beach, which is like just south of the proper beach that is like called the cove. And Sandy Beach is so much better because there's a little hermit crab pool. And during low tide, you can, like, take the empty hermit crab shells. And it's a little mean because they do still move to them. It's just, like, an apartment that they're not in right now. But there's also a bunch of sea glass on that one. There's no people. You are not really supposed to, but you can climb the cliffs and stuff. And so I would always climb the cliffs, play in all the waves. And it was just a great time. Um, but I would collect the sea glass and make art out of it sometimes with my downtime. I would draw a lot. Um, because up until like sixth grade, seventh grade, I really liked drawing and I was not good at it, <laughs> but I was like, okay, I was decent. And my drawing skills just have not furthered from that. Uh, but I still really enjoyed it and yeah, I had the time of my life, but also I like would talk to my mom every once in a while because like that I feel like that's a normal thing to do and I would miss her and whatever uh and whatever that's a weird <laughs> weird addition um but I would like just sit in the bath and call her for a while and my dad because my dad didn't like it when I called her and I would literally like lie I'd come out of the bathroom and he'd be like who are you on the phone with and I was like oh nana like I would just lie because I didn't <laughs> want to get screamed at because my dad this is taking a turn, but this is just how it was. He drank, like, a fair amount. He probably drank, like, literally just from my memory, I think, like, maybe a six-pack a day. Um, or just, like, in the evening. And he would get, like, just, just, like, a little bit of an angry person. My mom said that sometimes I would call, like, afraid. Um, but I don't remember this. My child brain did a good job with many things of just blocking it out. And so if I would, like, take a bath and I was on the phone, even if it was Nana, but if he wasn't in a good mood and a little bit, like, he would just, like, scream at me. Not a great time. But otherwise, like, that home still, I just felt like such a deeply creative and, like, soft space, genuinely for expression. And even though there is, like, very clearly correct forms of expression, if you will, I was raised to be, like, by my mom, a very polite child. So the kinds of expectations that the house had or the restrictions that were in place regarding creativity, I was fine with. Like, that was easy to me. And so it just felt very free. And I loved, I can still, like, remember the walks to all the different beaches, to all the different key points so vividly. Like, there's this one house that always had, like, that you know how you could like stack rocks. I know there's a name for it, but they always had different like formations in front of their house, or they'd have a bunch some days, and you could see them rebuild it. And all of La Jolla is a very nice area of San Diego. Um, so all of the houses were beautiful, and I really learned to appreciate like the architecture there. And I think that's why I have such a deep soft spot for a lot of like terracotta influences on houses there's Spanish influences there's Mexican influences because it was so close to the border we went to Mexico a few times um 
and I really like the Old Town in San Diego. Old Town in San Diego is so fire. Um, and I love churros. One thing about me, I'm a, I'm a beast of churro. Um, so when I went to the Spain for f- the first time in high school, and I had a Spanish churro, I was like, is this a joke? Like, <laughs> like excuse me? What? <laughs> what are you trying to tell me? Um, especially the chocolate that they have you dip in it. Like, it's literally just better without dipping it in milk. Chocolate milk. What's wrong with you? Um, um, I'm a purist. And that's to say that the Mexican way is the right way. Thank you. Um, I stand by that for most things. (laughs) Anyway. Um... Yeah, <laughs> didn't mean to get too passionate, but I take my churros seriously. Um, I'm a feisty person, and I have a weird sense of justice. And I do not hold others to my sense of justice, but I hold myself to it because I live so closely to my values. Ivy, hello. She looks. She just woke up because there's geese outside honking about. Is that big yawn? You're so cute. I love my cat so much. I'm going to miss them. When I move out, I still have to figure out the subletting situation. But anyway, yeah, San Diego, I spent a lot of time on the beach. My dad would also sometimes, like, go for runs in the morning or in the afternoon, and I would just, like, I was not running in the sand. I thought that man was insane. It was so hard. Um, So I would just, like, sit on the beach, and I literally would just talk to the waves. Um... And I thought that I could, like, control them because I would guess how far the tide would come in. And at first, and then it got to the point where it's, like, it's literally just, like, pattern recognition of, like, how, like, the physics of a wave, like, you can tell how it's going to build. You can tell where it's going to crash for and release and flow out to. Um, but I would tell it to do the thing I knew it was going to do. <laughs> and I was, like, we're besties. You and me, we're, we're connected like this crossing my fingers if you can't tell um but also for reference I was born in Pacific Beach and we had had we had a house there and every once in a while my dad like rented it out when he moved to La Jolla we still went back every once in a while there's a tangerine tree and an orange tree there's a pool table in the basement so my dad would teach me how to play pool um all that fun stuff you know and there's a few times my family um, on his side is mostly from the East Coast. There's a few of them in Minnesota. Um, but they'd fly out from the East Coast and then stay at that house, and then we would go too, just because there's more room. Um, in PB, Pacific Beach. Um, and also my favorite park was called Fanuel Park, but as a small child, I could not say Fanuel. So I call it Fanny Park, which is funny enough to American English, like Americans, but then to the British, that must have been that must be crazy to hear. Not that I said it to any British people, but still. Um, yeah, and it was just along the beach, so I went to that park a lot, and I always made friends for like the day. I was so good at that. I was such a social little kid, um, but it was mostly I think because Lucian and I were so good at building imaginary worlds that they were just like happy to be a part of my game. 
but I always had such strict rules that I don't really know why they followed. But at the same time, like, kid brains are all about, like, understanding rules, learning them, playing with them. So I'm sure that it was kind of maybe nice in that way for them. Me just hoping <laughs> by using child psychology. Um, but I really liked that house. It was That was on Kendall Street. My dad doesn't, he sold the house a while ago, so um, I can say that. And it also looks completely different now. It's been renovated up the wazoo and whatever. Um, I don't actually know if the orange tree and the tangerine tree are still there, but I hope they kept that much. It was a big backyard also. Um, the one in La Jolla is not as big, but it's also a more expensive area. But San Diego in general, it was pretty, pretty spinny. Um, but also when I got more serious about swimming and I would still go there for a bit in the summer, like this was the transition period before I just stopped going. Um, I swam for a swim team there called Wind and Sea and I would go to their swim meets and I was literally like, damn, California swimmers ain't shit because they were so, in the nicest way possible, they're so slow, like compared to what we had going on in Illinois that shit was deep. That shit was crazy. If you were in, it was wild. But because everyone just, like, kind of just swims in general in San Diego because, like, the ocean's there. We would do ocean swims for practice some days, which was fun. Um, that was also where I learned how to blow ring bubbles. Um, but they didn't tell, like, I told the coach, I was like, I don't know what this is. Like, I've never done a ring bubble before. He was like, oh, just, like, watch the other kids and figure it out. So I thought you had to do it with your nose. You do it with your mouth. It's a lot easier with your mouth, but it looked like they were doing it with their nose because they are all plugging their nose. So I was like, oh, that surely must be it. So I learned how to do it with my nose first. And when I brought back to Chicago, a lot of people in Chicago do ring bubbles with their nose because of me and my misinterpretation because we just it wasn't really a thing. But they just have more fun, so just a more laid-back approach. So everyone just like kind of base level good at swimming in San Diego. But they're not great. Whereas in Illinois, you've got to be, like, committed. Um, but it was still fun. We had a good time. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was just... That time, it was characterized by a lot of, like, deep play. And I'd say it was, despite having, like, passing friends or friends on the swim team, or I would go to, like, summer... Oh, I would also go to summer camp. I completely forgot about that. But it wasn't always. So there's one time I went to summer camp at a country club. And it was like a golf and tennis camp. But I didn't really like golf. So in the, so the morning session was always tennis. The afternoon session would be golf. So I just played tennis all day. I did a lot of tennis camps growing up. So I was pretty good. Um, but it was also at this particular camp I made friends with these like three siblings and they all also just did tennis so it would pretty much just be us playing tennis all day and it was a good time and we would always bring like different candies to like play poker with for, at lunch in the country club which is a good time um and then I went to the summer camp at the San Diego Zoo once but that was kind of far from what I remember but I was friends with this one girl and she ate bugs I was like, oh my god, you're insane! Because we had this like presentation, because it's a zoo, there's a little bit of a spectacle for these kids that love animals, like me. And also the pandas, I think, were pretty new to the zoo at that point. So that was cool. 
it was also cool to see because we could go behind the scenes in every way on like all of the places. So you could see like the sharks and their eggs and we've got to watch sharks hatch and it was cool. Um, but anyway, there's this presentation. He was like, any brave souls want to come up and eat like a mealworm or something? And my friend said, yes. I was like, you're insane. She said it tastes like nachos. And I was like, you're lying. You're a little liar. Um, <laughs> but it was fun. And I also went to camp at SeaWorld. And this is the thing. I didn't know SeaWorld was bad as a kid. I wish that my dad knew because now I feel like shit every time I bring it up. But I was like, I loved SeaWorld. It was so fun. The roller coasters. I had a great time. I had horses. I loved horses. I rode them back in Chicago. I was like, yeah, this is so sick. The Clydesdales are crazy. They're so big. I'm not used to this. Not that you ride them in SeaWorld. Um, But I still had so much fun. And then I learned that SeaWorld's a horrible place. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel I feel so guilty about that for so long. And I was like, it just feels like I'm justifying it to be like, I was a kid and I didn't know, even though, like, I literally, I did not know. Um, so I accept that I did it. It is wrong. I'll advocate for that. So sorry. Um, but, yeah, just lots of summer camps, too. But it was, yeah, just a lively place full of, like, play and art and the ocean. Good weather. Um, it was fun. My stepmom didn't really, like, let us have any processed foods almost ever. But I loved processed foods. <laughs> so I ate a lot of Rice Krispie treats. And there was one day that I remember. My dad's not a good cook. Um, but I keep almost saying her name, but my stepmom was out of town. And so he was just, like, fighting for his life. And I'm not a big pancake person, and that's, like, the only thing he can make, like, well. And so, but I fucked with toast so heavy, like, just buttered toast. So I literally just ate a loaf of bread in a day. Just, like, a a loaf of bread's worth of toast. Um, Which is a good time. I loved it. It was good. My dad and I, that was one thing we did. We would sometimes walk over to a 7-Eleven that was nearby, and he would let me get, like, one snack, and he would get his beer. And that would be our little, like, secret (laughs) from her for being so healthy. And every once in a while, we went to this place called Busy Bees, too, and we would get, like, bagels for the family, Um, especially if, like, both of my older sisters were in town. And my oldest sister, her now husband, um, was also at the wedding. Very nice. Um, but, like, sometimes he would come over. And that's when we would, my dad and I would just go gather bagels for the troops. Or sometimes I, if I didn't want to wake up, I would just come out to bagels. Um, so I would just get a plain bagel with cream cheese and a sunny D because I was such a picky eater. Which was rough in that house. Which brings me to two little... Um, Segments of my stepmom, like her rule is just always like, I just had to try everything. And I still just do that. And I'm not a picky eater anymore, so it's fine. Um, but I remember her having me try asparagus. And I was like, it's green. This is going to be disgusting. And I loved it. But I could not tell her that because I was really stubborn. And I just wanted to be right about everything, especially my own opinions. And I was like, oh, I just still don't like it. But I loved it. And I wanted more of that asparagus. <laughs> Um, and similarly, she was like, oh, like, this is my favorite book. I think it's The Secret Garden. 
and I read it and like it's only like a 110 page book I want to say I read it in like 45 minutes which doesn't feel crazy to me at all and she was like there's no way you just finished that and I was like I like I swear on my life I finished like this was me telling like I was telling her I was like I finished the book that would be a weird thing to lie about um but I was like I don't think I'll like it and I it was like fine so I told her that and I think that was why she just like didn't want to believe me I don't know but yeah there's a lot of the beach every Thursday in the summer they had like a jazz concert series so in the afternoon um like five six we would bring a little picnic and uh, listen to the jazz concerts on the beach my dad and I would go play frisbee and I would climb the trees stuff like that um yeah just a very but even in Chicago like I know I'm not detailing this part right now but even in Chicago I was just like a deeply outdoorsy playful kid and I think that's part of why I so deeply to this day feel such a lack of play. Because at least in high school, like that is something I will say for swimming, even though it was so strict and regimented. It took up so much of my day that I didn't feel the lack of play so much because it was still like physical movement. It was still with friends. Some of them were my friends. Some of the people I swam with were iffy. Um they seem like some of them seem like good people now. Some of them have gone down deep dark paths. Um, like they're gonna be successful, but at what cost? Kind of people, you know. Um, so I didn't really like feel that lack, but now that I just have to go on long walks on my own all the time, which I love, I love the long walks, but I just wish that it was still like the play. That's why when I talk about people that I know in my life that do still play a lot, I'm like, damn, these bitches got it right. They got it covered. <laughs> why can't I do that? Um, so, yeah, just a very playful child. Lots of, lots of books, lots of movies. My dad would show me, like, old TV shows. Um, like, I remember he watched The Monkees, The Adams Family, stuff like that. Uh, but also, just to like, I guess I'm just going to detail the San Diego side, but um, when I got a little bit older, like 10-ish, I guess, um, maybe, I don't know, anyway, going to skip that thought. It would be far too deep of a <laughs> side note. Um, but they... My dad and my stepmom, stepmom got two houses up in the mountains, one that they just, like, did up and rented out. That one scared me. It was, like, an hour and a half drive, and I was a big scaredy cat. I'm still a scaredy cat, but I can, like, deal with things for the most part now. But the trees freaked me out, like, the shadows, and I was like, I feel like I'm going to... I feel like I'm going to be killed here. I just wasn't good at, like, sleeping in new places in general, um, which is ironic because... Like, my mom and I traveled a lot my whole life, and that was easy for me because I think there's, like, an element of fun. Like, oh, it's a hotel. Like, in my head, hotels are, were safe, and now I know not so much, but that's okay. Or not always, rather. Because um, the camera thing really freaks me out. Like, I've never, so far as I know, encountered, like, a public camera. But still, yeah. Yeah, Amy. 
She brought me her mouse. Um, she wants attention. Yes. She's just like me. <laughs> Can you hear the purr? <laughs> She's rubbing her face all over the phone. She's so funny. Um... My mom was very mad because I was like begging my dad to drive us back, and we only took one car up. Um, so we had to go back to San Diego the same night, and it was <laughs> it was rough. So we never stayed in that one; that was the one we rented out. Um, but it was in Descanso, um, which is even more so. There's not really we didn't have much Wi-Fi connection, that kind of thing. But I remember very specifically, like my last winter break in uh, San Diego. She's going crazy with the mouse. It's a toy, obviously. But um, It was my stepsister, my stepmom, my dad and I. We watched, like, all of the Harry Potter movies, very cozy feel. I was rereading all of the Harry Potter books over and over for, like, a week. And just living in my own little world. And it was so cozy, and there was, like, one of the first times they had seen snow in San Diego, like uh, they being my family, um, was then. And we had a cat. I forgot about that. Um, when I got older, they got a cat named Zorro. And he is lovely. It's such a fun little kitty. There's one, there's, speaking of cats, this one's standing on me. Um, but we brought him up to the mountain house and we had a good time. And there's lots of horse, like if we ever walked around the neighborhood, a lot of our neighbors had horses and stuff like that. Um, so it was fun to like pet them, say hello. And also, side note, like when I was little, every day my dad would read me a story growing up. And this is how I read Moby Dick as a child, is like he read it to me and then I just decided I wanted to read it. Um, so I read Moby Dick as a very small kid because of those story times. Um, so lots of classic literature got consumed through bedtime stories. But that one I did read, I swear. I'm not just, I'm not just counting on that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what other? These are just like, it's also crazy because all of this is, the basics of my memory. Oh my god, I didn't even talk about the Padres. Um, also, the jewel means uh, La Jolla means the jewel is what I was trying to say in Spanish. And because uh, my stepmom was Costa Rican, and my dad like learned Spanish, I can like speak a decent. I well, I don't speak a lot of Spanish anymore. At the time, I could speak a decent amount, and could just understand a fair amount. So that's why I can still like read Spanish fairly easily. Um, but yeah, I also went to Montessori school for preschool, which just means like, if you don't know, you choose the things yourself. So I chose to learn Spanish and sign language. Um, so that's also, I think part of why Spanish was easy for me. I distinctly remember seeing like the leche, the milk, leche, 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 ah, <laughs> clearly not good anymore. Um, but there's a little card for it. Um which I remember so clearly. And I loved the Spanish teacher. She was great. Um, but we would also get to go to the Padres games. But I really liked Petco Park because I wasn't really a fan of bleachers. I thought it was, like, uncomfortable, like, kind of claustrophobic. 
and even as a kid, like I just didn't like that many people. But there's like a hill. They like they keep one side of the stadium like there's no wall. Um, and there's just like a little grassy hill, and we would just like bring a picnic and watch the game. And you still have to, like get tickets to sit in the hill, but it's more like GA kind of thing. And I just loved it. It was so fun. I would roll down the hill. They had a little kiddo baseball park that I would go and play baseball at. They had a trivia thing that you could win pins and stamps. And I was a beast at trivia because I love fun facts. Um, and then if you go down the hill, later they built a park. And this this was traumatic. I still not, I hate spinny things now for this reason. But they had one of those things that you sit in and you spin and I got stuck on it. I was going so fast because I was such a skinny little thing that it was just flying and I was like shoved in there so I couldn't get out. So none of the, like no parents that were at the park could get me and my dad wasn't there because he just trusted me to not be supervised, I guess. Um, and he had like someone had, they were just like, what's your dad's name? I was like, Andrew. Oh, like, now you know my dad's name. Um, my mom is Christine, if you're wondering. Um, but they had to, like, go find him, and then he had to, like, stop me, and I don't know how he didn't get, I probably got bruised kind of bad, uh, so I hate spinny things, that was the worst, most nauseating feeling I've ever had in my life, um, yeah, it was a good time, and I really like that they, I was so enamored with the ice cream and a baseball cap, you know? Um, I also really like there's a Dairy Queen, I don't know if it's still open, in San Diego, but it was like a red triangle hut, so it kind of looked like a pizza hut, I guess, but it was a Dairy Queen, and I was like, this building is so cool, and it was so massive for some reason, like there's nothing else in there, it's just a Dairy Queen, and it's crazy. Anyway, I guess that's San Diego for you. Woo, love beams, my voice is gone. Hello, Sorensen Sound. I had a little note on manifesting. I was coming up in a voice memo. I was sending a friend, and I just thought I would explain it here. So in general, I'm someone that lives, like, very much in accordance to my values, like, rather directly. And I'm also someone where, someone, sorry, where it's just easy for me to flip a switch. And it's like, oh, this, like, this is how I've decided to feel. I'm going to act, like, I, it's easy for me to go cold turkey. It's better, like, I, I don't really handle, um, like, purgatory well, you know, where it's that, or limbo, more aptly, I guess, in, in the colloquial speech. They're both equally as relevant otherwise. Oh, coin. Pick it up. It's on its head. Ooh. I like to flip coins over my shoulder as if I was perpetually at the Trevi phone, even if there's not um, water there. <laughs> uh, kind of like throwing salt over your shoulder too. Uh, so, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, because I'm just like, I don't really, on, on a large level, like I've come to just like accept it when other people don't do that, but it doesn't, like it does confuse me because... How does it not, like, how, do, how could it sit well with you to not just, like, do what you 
have decided to do for yourself, if that makes sense. Like, how do you... It's one thing to know something where you're like, oh, this, like, this is good for people in general. But that's not, like, a personal identifying point. But if there's something where you... Like, people who are hypocritical, it doesn't, like, add up to me. I guess because if it's something that you were willing to die on a hill for, then, like, where do you get off, kind of? And not keeping up with that, because literally, what does it mean? Like, what's, what's the point? Because um, nothing means anything. So to just, like, abstractly say something and then not show it with your actions, it doesn't... Like, I, I just, like, it doesn't compute in my head. And so it's like, oh, if I decide to, like, live a certain way or I decide I want something, I will always act in favor of that. And there's something that's been kind of going around, but I don't think it's been, like, explained. And that happens a lot in, like, spiritual communities on social media because it'll be kind of given or lead to something that, like, sounds good, even if it is based in, like, actual, like, practice. Um, it gets so reduced to kind of nothing but it could be like a good like if you know what it means it could be a good phrase but for most people they'll they'll enter with the phrase and be like ah that's it kind of you know and so with manifesting I'm not someone who like I've explained this in the spirituality episode but I kind of like I need some kind of backing some kind of process something I can like something actionable with anything and to me, manifesting, though it is actionable and people, there's like different ways to journal, speaking as though you have the thing, um, having uh, affirmations, stuff like that. Um, to me, that all goes back to routine and having a part of your routine to remind yourself of what you want is what these like practi- daily practices of manifesting are. Um, so as much as like going to play tennis could remind you that you want to be like physically active physically in your body it just it's a reminder of a way you want to live or it's just a reminder that you like tennis you know even on days when you don't want to go and then you go and you feel better it's like oh that's why I went that's why I do this it's a reminder of that and so manifestations are a more like meta kind of thing but ultimately it's just like a forced reminder that you have this value and you should act alongside it And that's why when people, like, manifest, I feel like typically online it'll be somewhat materialistic. Um, And it'll be like, oh, I want, like, this apartment in this place. And while that could be seen as, like, oh, why do you just want things? To most people, those things, like, mean something. And sometimes that is very, like, shallow not to like put value on like but sometimes like a show or it's whatever or it's just for a social status thing however false and however then tacky that becomes in my opinion but besides the point let's let's inject my own whatever (laughs) um but those things it's like those become the routine because that's the place in which you'll live the place in which you remind yourself the place in which you'll see your goal goals daily and that'll be a reminder of values which you've already implemented but the manifestation itself is like kind of adjusting to something that is apparently radically different than your reality and sometimes people need to put this like mystical spin on manifestation to believe not only that they like deserve a different reality than the one they've been given 
but you have to think differently to get somewhere else. And so if you, whoa, there's a massive hawk. So cool, sorry about the wind. So if you um, just like need that extra hand and like believing that there's some like mystical vibrations that will get you there, then that can be like, that can be how you actually get yourself to a new place. And it really is because of the vibrations. And that's why I'm not someone who likes to like rag on whatever helps people because it's what helps them. And even if it's maybe not the exact chain of events that they think is happening, it's their, like, that reality they created for themselves got them somewhere that is objectively, like, tangible. Um, so, it's, like, why my brag on it? It's just, honestly, if, like, nothing else to explain it quite simply, it's putting you in a different state of mind like one removed from your reality it helps you to bridge a gap and like in the values that you act on and can help you fulfill disalignment that I always talk about um so but the kind of like catchphrase that I was talking about before maybe catchphrase question whatever but the people are always saying like um they talk about your highest self your most evolved self, which to me does like the implication is always like the wealthiest, the most girl boss, whatever, you know. Um, and that's that'll be the implication where it's just like the most materialistic, essentially, is how the connotation is often brought about. And that can be like a real turn off to me from that kind of thing. But there is something still like that that is basin and I understand that that is what a lot of people want. I have to sneeze. <coughs> well, thank you. Um, I've been seen. Oh, fuck. <coughs> okay, thank you. Did it again. Britney Spears, baby. <laughs> um, anyway. What was I gonna say? Um, oh, but they'll be like, Envision your highest self, which to me is just like, well, what do you value? What do you want to be reminded of every day? How do you wish to curate your life? What influences do you want to allow? What do you want to like see and learn about the world? And how can you make a, pra a daily practice where, that, uh, you're, where you're allowed to achieve that? And um, to me, that's what the highest self is. And it's just a lot of the times that's not super loud in these niche circles of pop culture. Um, sorry for sniffling so much, but I'm clearly, clearly sneezy. Clearly pollen, because a lot of pollen in the air, sorry, because of the aforementioned storm. But... What did she say? Oh, and then they'll be like, and then act like her, or it'll be like, and then whenever you do something, like, ask yourself if you're acting as she would, you know? And that's, like, that extension of manifestation because, it, like, it is true, like, to just... If you want to be different, you have to think different, and that comes naturally to me, where as soon as I find a thought in my head, like, something clicks for me about how I want to act, I can immediately kind of apply that holistically to my actions, my thought processes, and I'll be like, oh, I think this way, so this is what I want to do, whereas a lot of people never, like solidify that within themselves 
and they kind of keep it as like, oh, this is what I should want. But then also, if you internalize, not like a quote unquote, I think <laughs> like generational trauma, stuff like that, not to like overgeneralize, but I think a lot of that is in a lot of instances where people act on like misogyny, homophobia, any like socialized negative behavior, that is learned. Like that, you're not born with that thus socialized. It is nurtured, not natured. <laughs> um, and, and especially like the content which these people argue about is certainly not natural. <laughs> um, no question of meaning and field with that one, even though it's normally quite a debate just holistically. That's not natural to feel uh, the way <laughs> feel about things. Um, but that's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, to fit in because people just want acceptance. They just want to feel like they belong. They want to feel actualized, aligned, and everything. That, or like just connected, just like feeling community. Like you got a little pack, you got a little clan, whatever. Um, they just go with other people's beliefs. They go with what they take the shoulds from other people that they just observe because they see like rules and their little kid brain and it just don't question it when you're older because it'll work for you if you stay in the communities which you were grown if you were if you will sorry um this is a little abstract a little funkily explained and definitely like a part two from what i was starting with which is like actual benefits of manifestation as long as you like understand how to stomach it and for me, it helps to realize it's not magic, but it's just a modes of transit of a mental state. Um, but how that same kind of concept is applied in a more macro sense socially is that it's just like, oh, I should feel this way. And so I do. And because that's like the mentality that you see acted upon, then that's what you're gonna like, attribute I, I I'm trying to figure out how to say this so if someone's like and I think this is what I mean with like moral uh, good sense is moral relativity because a homophobic person will think they are being kind you know because they're like I'm trying to save your soul you know like a southern religious crazy person type thing um they're like i'm being kind i'm doing something good for you um because i think i'm saving your soul based on absolutely nothing uh, <laughs> and also i do side note i do think it's harmful to like attribute these stereotypes that i'm doing and so i do even in the moment, like, regret it, because one, not only does that, like, falsely say that, like, every Southerner is that way, even though generally that might be true, it also tends to mean that people would be like, I'm from the North in the U.S. I couldn't be, like, homophobic. It's like, well, no, that's not, like, you, <laughs> there's always the exception to the rule, so it just, whatever, whatever. Um, words are violence. Whatever. But this is for the sake of, like, cultural example which is easy to extract for the masses when um, there is still ability to that and it is sad that there is a gap between those ideals and the harm which 
towards stereotypes of even ones that point out negative, like biases could stand to fall. Um, but the point is they think they're being kind. And so they tend people to like um, conversion therapy, which is disgusting, pathetic. Um, also watch But I'm a Cheerleader. This is such a fun film. Oh, sorry. This is about something that's so brutal. But wait, in fact, I really talk so loud. Um, but the fact is like, but that is just like blatantly homophobic. And that is something they're proud of because it's a trait that they believe is kind. Whereas someone else is like, it's kind to just like let everybody be themselves and do they want love who they want because love is love you fucking idiot um so you know just different presentations of the same trait and you could still call that like your goal this should that you have and the manifestation is how you're going to get to that and it's going to be like well are you going to be homophobic are you going to be like a decent normal fucking person that just supports anybody and who they love you know um, personally, I'm going to be just being a decent human being. Uh, and so to that same value, the course of manifestation is important. Or not important, well, important to getting where you want to. Nothing is important in the grand scheme of things. Um, nothing means anything. Blah, blah, blah. So hopefully that makes sense. But if you think, like... Hopefully everybody values, like, kindness. Hopefully that's what everybody values. And you're typically going to replicate what you see, the courses of action, the circumstances you are given. And if you want to achieve that differently, or if you're stuck in that mentality, achieve something else, then you're going to need a different plan of action. And that's where manifestation can completely, like, because theoretically, this person is still, like, this homophobic person is still in the town which taught them to be homophobic. And they're trying not to be. Like, they don't, they, they want to get out of that. But they're still in the place which fosters that belief under the guise of kindness. And so they just have to, like, think about it differently. They have to manifest a different future, a different course of action. And to be reminded of that every day despite their surroundings telling them to act something, act another way we're saying something else in that is contrary on the contrary to whatever they've decided are their values and hope that makes sense hope i explained that well enough at the end um so just like different ways of thinking acquire different courses of action manifestation can help you achieve that in a very real way whatever you want to call it Maybe that's not crystals, maybe that's not vibrations. But like I said in the spirituality episode, if you're able to attach that meaning, just attach that reminder of how you want to live, of your morals, if you're not like me and you can't just like switch that on. Um, your morals, moral relativity, shut the fuck up. No good and no bad. Doesn't mean anything. This positive or negative for you as it pertains to your alignment. Screaming. I don't know how the wind affects things. Um, okay. Okay. Let me have this talk. 
Um, so, um, and this came up because um, I like to travel. I want to travel. So I'm planning all these little trips. Some of them are finite, but then I also know that I have some breaks coming up in my master's program coming up, I say, in like a year, where I have an idea of what I want to do for it. But in order to do those things, it's kind of contingent on me following through with other actionables throughout the year. And so by like manifesting this one event, a lot of other things have to fall in line. And so I'll have to do them throughout the year. And that's why a lot of people who manifest things will be like, oh, like I just am, like I'm just going to the school. Like this is just like, I'm gonna get this job. Like it's just what's gonna happen. And it's because when you're in that mindset, you just like, it's not an option that you're not gonna procrastinate. You're just gonna like identify with that thing and you're gonna have to do everything that precedes it like you're not just gonna be delusional unless you're just living in the should rather than um internalizing it to some degree and that's why that can also be so crushing because if you are someone where you're like i identified with this thing i did everything right and i didn't get it then because you identified with it it can be that much more devastating and for me like luckily that's not something i struggle with so I, i don't necessarily know how to advice on that other than to speculate but it's like I guess with the same metaphor it could just be like (laughs) this thing you identified with is supporting human rights (laughs) rather than any kind of negative bias harmful violence of a niche in the case we were talking about homophobia but either way, you're trying to achieve kindness. So I think something that maybe could be helpful is like if you're someone who identified with something and didn't get it, think about what you were trying to get that to say about you. Like what was the ultimate value you were trying to adhere to? And hopefully the steps along the way got you closer to that value, if nothing else, other than the identifier which you decided was its representation. Um, you know? <laughs> and I think that's also why like I luckily like I don't face rejection a ton I definitely had like a steep fear of it as a child but that's more like a abandonment issue just so that's the point um not really I guess but it's not something to delve into right now um and so like I just easy for me to move along and I think it's because this is something that's maybe automated in my brain and that's why it's easy like it's not a conscious effort for me um, INTJ life, just decide and do. All organized, all systems are systems. <laughs> they're, they're operating, <laughs> fully functioning. Uh, it's fun stuff, honestly. It's so cool to have this silly little brain of mine. I love it. I love living in this brain. Um, also, side note, I can't remember if I've talked about this yet. I don't think I have. But there's a note. <laughs> okay, actually, maybe I have. But I just don't know if I've included it in anything. I deleted the clip because sometimes I do that um but I definitely did but (laughs) I'm gonna reiterate it because it's really like made me a lot more comfortable is that you don't have to act out of fear and just always coming from a place of presence if you are not afraid to enlist boundaries and not as a reach but to genuinely try and bring this back um boundaries are a way to like further relationships and sometimes that will be in the like 
face of a goal of a manifestation. It's like, I do this thing every day to remind myself of this thing that I want to accomplish. And ultimately, what that means is like, it's representational of a way that I wish to be in the world, of a way that I wish to live my life. Um, and some people maybe won't respect that. Maybe they won't respect whatever boundaries that is. And you don't want to like act out of fear. You don't want to like make your life goals, make the things you do every day. You don't want to have to be scared to talk about that. Like, I don't want to be scared to tell people, I, I do not play tennis. I, this is just back to the other example. Uh, nothing against tennis, I just don't play it. Um, I did, besides the point. Um, but it's like, if I want to play tennis every day, because I like it, or because it's a reminder of physical movement, a reminder of play, which I always talk about, then, like, so, so be it. Um, but maybe my friends like squash and they'll make fun of me. But I don't, like, you should never be afraid. And even though there's, like, a whole joking culture, like, there's, jokes are always based on some reality. There's always some subversion to it. And it's about, like, different commentaries. And there's actually really cool, like, social analyses of breakdowns of jokes, especially generational. It's really, it's cool, satisfying, fun, whatever. Um, but there's still always, like, an appeal. Then a joke, ethos, logos, pathos, and, like, a setup. And it's just... So ultimately, it is still valid to, again, going back to valid of anything's valid. So is this, whatever. <sighs> I say whatever as if it's a genuine discourse that people have. But it's just because I've talked about it. I don't want to talk about it here, but I just feel the need to allude to things and note them every time, even if it's not about the main point. So I want to have all my bases covered so that way people can't, like... Like, hey, checkmate, bitch. And it's like, yeah, I already thought about that, dumbass, but you're not going to believe me if I didn't say it in the first place. Um, so, <laughs> the point is, if you're like, hey, this is like a thing that I love, like, please don't make fun of me playing tennis. I like, I want to keep doing it and I don't want to feel guilt about it because, like, odds are, people in your life, people that play squash, it's just a different alignment of trying to get to that value of, like, play, of movement. Like, you're both trying to get there, and you do it differently. And unfortunately, people make fun of the way you do these things differently to get to the same values because they have to find a way to believe that it's worth playing squash every day. If they're like, tennis kind of sounds really cool. Like, if they're open to it, then their reality is shattered in some way because um, they're no longer playing squash all the time. Uh, but... Honestly, and that's what I was getting back to, like that kind of rejection of like, I really wanted to get this job, go to this school, and I couldn't. But it's like, yeah, but you're still working towards that value. So if you do, like end up loving, end up loving to play tennis, like maybe you're not great at it at first, and that's like an ego thing on your part to get through. But you're still working towards this value. You're doing it differently, more holistically, and I think that's wonderful. That's beautiful. So it's okay <laughs> for your reality to change. And so many people are just, like, afraid of that because it makes them think that they were wrong. But it was never wrong. It's just different. And, <laughs> you know, um, hopefully that makes sense. I know it does. I just say those things because I want to cover the bases in case there is some degree of ineptitude being portrayed. But if so, it's not on my end because it makes sense to me validating myself, baby.
Um, I think I have a call soon about a sublet. <laughs> so, Whew. also like really need water. I was gonna work and then forget to drink water. I'll have like my Vietnamese coffee. And I'm like, there's ice in it. That's close enough. We're fine. Uh, that is not true. Don't believe a word I say. Caffeine, coffee, dehydrating. Does, that still makes no sense at face value. It's like people are like, I was in water. Why do I have to put lotion on? Why would water dehydrate my skin? I was like, ah, like face value, fuck if I know. Science, like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, say what you want. Doesn't make sense to me, bucko. <laughs> um, so, it's my little spiel. This is longer than I thought it would be. So I guess maybe there'll be two outtakes. Maybe this will be on the fly. I was in the mood to chat today. Um, yeah, I was. <laughs> I had had some things to say about like a. This, so this usually doesn't happen to me anymore. It used to as a kid. I used to be the kind. Of, wow, that was really dumb. Um, but I was the kind of kid who would like stay up kind of person when I was a kid who would stay up thinking about things, about like what I could have said, what I could have done differently, uh, whatever, whatever, and it's just not something I do anymore, because I'm like, yeah, I trust that in, but this is also, I guess this is still pertinent, in any given moment, like, I don't really understand regret, because if you're always, like, acting in accordance with your values at any given moment, you did the best that you could with what you had, and so just because you have more information, you have different values, maybe, as you get older, which is good. Like I said, like, it's just different. That's fine. Uh, that's how you grow. Um, live in alignment. Then there's no need to regret anything, because, like, you just, like, now maybe, sure, maybe you're practicing so that you know if something similar happens, how you want to act. But if you, like, you don't need to plan like that. You can just be in the moment, know what you think about things, know how you feel about them, and then act on them. You don't have to, like, always try and rewrite these things, try and one-up a former self or a former other. Uh, like, I don't know, and I think that's something that just, like, naturally... There was a day when I realized this kind of thing, or what I'm talking about, which is a, honestly a long time ago now. Uh, this is something I've thought about since I was probably, like, 13, 14, because that's whenever I stopped, like, tracing back arguments or, like, discussions. But that's not what I'm getting at is I had a little argument with myself in the mirror the other day but it wasn't myself it was an other and I was like damn this is like I'm kind of spinning bars it's kind of I got a flow this is good (laughs) um (laughs) it's like I know what I'm talking about I got this down so I was just ready to talk it wasn't last night it was like two nights ago um and say about the wind but this is something I've always had to do since I was, like, a small kid is I would have to, like, look in the mirror at my expressions to know. Because I was like, I know what other people look like when they're feeling this thing. But I just would get told that I was, like, pretty straight-faced a lot. Or I, just in general, I'm also a pretty smiley person. So I'll, like, smile during really hard conversations. Um, maybe as, like, an effort to comfort someone subconsciously, but it just, to me, feels like second nature. Um, so... Anyway, would just <laughs> practice my so my facial expressions in the mirror a lot 
and I have to like practice talking about things in the mirror um, just to like look <laughs> like normal and to make it like easier for other people to understand me with physical cues so yeah love beams headed home Woo. Okay, and quick note, this is also, that's just generally why people put others down, is to, like, reinstate why they feel that way, but also people that have been traumatized, um, a lot of, like, I, I don't know what to say, there's no reason that had to happen, it did not have to happen, whatever happened to you, it didn't have to, and in a lot of ways, it being you, like, it, it being you. It didn't have to be. It just, like, it happened to be you. And unfortunately, that, like, it did happen to you, and it does affect you, even though it had nothing to do with, like, your trauma's not personal in a big way, regardless of, like, how it happened, who it was to, like, if it was war, if it's, like, a childhood um, abuse situation. I never, like, had to be you. And the thing that that helped me realize was, like, for the longest time, a lot of the things that, like, what traumatized me, I was like, on some level, I have to have had deserved this. There's no such thing as deserving people. Like, I don't, like, I think I've explained this before. If not, I will at some point, I'm sure. Um, but, like, the things you've got, like, I, like, have been diagnosed with PTSD. Like, that... <laughs> It didn't have to happen to me. It's not something I deserve, so I don't have to make it a part of my identity. And that's not to say, like, ignore the things that trigger you. Be cognizant of them. Have that be, like, part of the boundary system so that you don't have to fear it. And then also, like, reassess your boundaries from time to time because sometimes one thing may be necessary for you to get to, like, a stable enough point, but you could eventually take those down because it's so unfortunate that, like, that's what you have to go through as a result of trauma. But, and that you have to do so much extra work in your life. You have to consider so many things that just shouldn't happen to anybody, that nobody should have to, like, worry about, fear for, so viscerally. Um, and so it's good to be safe, and it's good to protect yourself, um, as long as that's beneficial, because at some point, that's no longer aligned with what you want, because you've grown. Like, regardless of what you think, regardless of how, like, in the trenches you still feel, you've grown and so you can reassess those boundaries and still be like oh I think this isn't this is good for me this isn't and that's something else that's hard if you've been traumatized is to trust yourself because you're you're a person a person are you and like why did I deserve this and it's because on some level you know you didn't and so to like keep treating yourself and keep telling yourself that you deserved some amount of pain is <laughs> Like, of course it's going to hurt because you're betraying yourself. It's like, you, you didn't. You don't deserve it. Um, it shouldn't have happened to you. Like, it just shouldn't have. And it did. That doesn't change that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's wacky. I get a little... Usually with this, I'm able to, like, steam through. But sometimes I have, like, moments where there's, like, a... A little lapse uh, but what I was trying to say is that it can be hard and this is something I've alluded to just not in so many words or with such an exact framework as this one or this exact framework rather not because this is not exact by any means it's kind of on the fly but it is something I genuinely think of this is just how I'm able to express it to others because I know how it lives in my brain um, 
but you know translation 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 I love it <laughs> I'm not good at it but I'm getting better <laughs> and the point is like the effects of it will look different for everybody um if you were like sexually assaulted some people will become hypersexual after some people will become completely celibate close off some people it'll like somewhere in the middle it just looks different for everyone because this is again you're trying to achieve safety you're going to act differently to get it because it was stolen from you regardless of what traumatized you that feeling of safety was stolen and it shouldn't have been theft is also like right theft isn't always arbitrary like Sometimes it's because you're wealthy, but it could happen to any wealthy person. You were just in the area, you know? You just happened to be there. You happened to be the one they did the horrible things to. You happened to be in this particular war. Um, and sure, you could find ways to blame yourself. You could be like, I chose to trust this person. I chose to join the army. Whatever it is. Um, but you're not responsible for someone else's actions. Like they, they did it. It was their choice, um, you know? So as much as like, and at that point, you then have information and this is where it goes back to like, don't regret how you analyze something because you did the best with what you could at that time. And this is like, so to finish this thought, you did the best with what you could at the time, you now know differently, so act differently. You can't keep old boundaries to try and pretend that you're still in the past before this thing happened to you. You need different boundaries to go about things differently because you have different information and you know how things work now. So like, go about it differently. <laughs> um, but similarly, this is like, it's a common thing where if someone's been sexually assaulted once in their life, they are more statistically more likely for it to happen again. Um, or it's statistically more likely for it to happen again. And it's still not your fault. It's just that, like, this, this, that's the statistic. Um, and sometimes it's, like, the kind of thing that gets alluded to in spiritual communities as a karmic tie, which just means that, like, aligned cycles of pain and traumatic incidences, general generational traumas, things like that, where you're told to act a certain way to get this certain thing and you don't want to believe that something's changed. And in some ways, for some people, to change an action after a traumatic event means that it's affected you and you don't want to admit it so you just keep going for the same kinds of people over and over again. Because <laughs> then you're fine in a weird way. Like if you keep getting hurt, then you're still fine. And the first thing never hurt. Um, and additionally, it could be a way to try and work through that first thing. It could be a way to figure out why the fuck did this person do this to me? And as much as it is something that happened to you, sometimes the most helpful thing in that sentence is to be like, that person did that. You don't have to figure it out for them. You can have the onus be on them. You figure out your shit, why you did that. You <laughs> have fun, good luck, fuck you. Um, I'm gonna just figure out how to be okay now, how my boundaries have to adjust in order for me to understand what it is to be safe. I'm gonna focus on myself and how I recover. And unfortunately that, like, that doesn't necessarily get rid of the why. Sometimes like the pulsing desire to get why the fuck someone would do something so shitty um, 
it's not gonna like how you could be wrong it's like the squash and tennis like you or someone that played squash someone played tennis with you and you're like why like what <laughs> like the reality doesn't make sense because I thought this was play and it's not um and it's just kind of it's hard to be like how could I have misread it and you didn't you understood it as your bounds were but people it will mean different things just because you can see the value and you can accept that you express it differently and then 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 you express it differently (laughs) and then it's ah (laughs) you know Ah, it's rough it's rough out here so this is not what I was going to continue but um, similar to the whole actions to achieve something I think this is why the boilerplate of life at least for me and for a lot of people I feel like can get really difficult (laughs) like why do I have to do laundry why do I have to clean up my room I feel like that's um, pretty difficult for a lot of very conceptual people Um, and this is something that I think can still be applied to the thing the little quote the little moment I've always referred to with Murakami of like routine for routine's sake and that does include like maybe sometimes there's just like you have an hour like I used to just like every Thursday I wouldn't have plans at night um I would just like clean my entire studio this once a week I would be like get everything done I made that a routine and I think it can kind of like if you have the perspective, if, like, the value which you attribute to that action is just, this is, like, so negative, I could be doing all these other things, or it's, like, why do I have to do this? Like, it's such a drag. Um, you just don't enjoy the action because of the value you've ascribed to it. You can also, similar to, like, having a value which you move differently, through, or you move, you do squash or you play tennis. Um, you can change... And I think this is maybe what's hard for other people that can be easier for me is that similarly, because each action, like as much as you've ascribed it to a position, that doesn't mean it's the only value which it has for anybody, like, you know? So you can just choose, at least I can just choose to like see it in a positive light. And as soon as I'm able to like access that other route, that other path, if I prefer it, if that makes my life easier, then I just choose that, you know? And as much as it's like, oh, then why did I waste so much of my life feeling so down every time I had to get stuff done or feeling so shitty every time I had to get stuff done? Then that's just that's some cost. You don't have to keep feeling shitty about doing laundry, you know? You can just kind of think of, like, how I did with, like, my Thursdays. I'm not saying this is the right way. I'm just saying this is what made my life easier. I was being like, oh, like this one... I kind of, like, at first I neutralized it. And I was just kind of like, oh, this is something I have to do for the rest of my life to function well. Like, I'm just going to use this as, like, I'm not going to feel any type of way about it. This is just, like, greasing the the cogs, the <laughs> putting gas in the tank, even though I hate putting gas in the tank still. But not perfect. I don't like gas in the car. Um, and I don't like doing laundry still. But that's why, also, it's okay to, like, reduce the things you don't like, even if you do change directions. So, like, when I'm in New York, honestly, like, the laundromat that was nearest to me in Tompkins, it cost, like, the same t- 
time to stay there for hours and do my laundry as it did to just drop it off and pick it up the next day. But even sometimes for me, like, because I have seasonal affective disorder, like, sometimes it was hard to drop off the laundry. And so, but that made it so much more fathomable than just, like, staying. Um, so sometimes, like, reducing difficulty despite being able to change something for yourself or just, like, applying a different lens to the same situation um, can be beneficial. But then it got to the point where I was like, honestly, like, I'm going to choose this, take this time to be... Like, I took the neutralization one step further, and I made it positive for myself. I was like, by cleaning my apartment, like, I'm doing something beneficial. Like, it, like I, fe- I know that I feel better when things are clean. So I'm giving my, like, every day, like, every week that this is clean, I get to feel better for the rest of the week. Like, there's just some part of me that's, like, everything else is a little easier. So that mentality is like, oh, this is actually, like, I'm looking forward to this because of the results it will have even if the action is a little difficult. Um, But I like vacuuming and stuff like that because to me it's also like, it's kind of a thoughtless activity on some level. Um, Like a lot of physical things, if it's not like a sport where you want it to be optimized, then you can just like go around a little vacuum. And I like to like look at my room and I'm like, oh, like I could rearrange this, whatever. And then that could be, ways for me to kind of subconsciously organize what I want my week to look like. And that could be me, a ways for me to like reflect on my values and be like, oh, I really liked this one like painting in my room because it made me feel this certain way. But like upon like second thought, I just don't feel that way about it anymore. Um, you know, so you're no longer, there's not gonna be any backlog of like huh, something in my room doesn't feel quite right. I wonder what it is. Because you kind of, like, have to face it. And again, a lot of people don't want to face it because they don't want to have to redirect anything in their brain. But if you're able to just, like, sit with that, then it's a lot, like, safer of a feeling to navigate, to just sit with whatever you got going on. And so that's why it's also, like, good to sit in activities that you find well, not to moralize it after the whole spiel, but for me, it's good. It's beneficial. It's positive uh, for my lived experience uh, <laughs> to sit in what makes me uncomfortable, even like with stretching. That's how you get more flexible. That's how you are able to maneuver yourself better and not be so stubborn and be a silly little goose, as it were. So I guess that's another, another little part of it. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I really didn't think I'd be able to talk about this for this song. Um, or rather, I didn't think I would. Because <laughs> I can apparently talk about anything for an indefinite... <laughs> I think I could apparently talk about anything for an hour if I really wanted to. Because my brain... I, I've definitely talked... Have I? pretty positive I've talked about this but like as a kid it's so cringy to like call it this but this is the most like accessible phrase but like the mind palace that they talk about in like the Sherlock show that everyone like just kind of knows now but that's like a real thing that orators in ancient Rome would do they would kind of just like assign like visual cues in a room they would assign different like phrases onto the next there was just always a means of connection like there was always a trigger that you could refer to to know 
what was next at a point in time for their like really long speeches where you wouldn't write it down and trying to like perform to an audience to orate <laughs> uh, you know simply um, but as a kid like I, d- I didn't I didn't know that then but I was little and I would just always have to play like liaison between my family members who didn't always get the long the best but there would have to be like there's a lot that I would have to remember and then I'd also be like oh I have to like do this thing or I had this idea I want to talk about this thing and I just happened like I had bookshelves and books up the wazoo and I'd be like I knew that I would think about the books or I would know that I would take this one book with me because it was in my backpack or something and so I'd be like okay when I look at this book when I remember it exists when I know this thing that I'm going to think about in the day occurs I will it will trigger this other thought and that's how I'd remember to like tell my mom something my nana had said um and that kind of just like naturally expanded for me and so now I think that just to explain why it's in many ways so easy for me to just like not fucking shut up is because everything has like I I am just very good at association I guess is what I'm trying to say and I think that's what helps me in pattern recognition as well because if I have an association that is tagged to two grander streams like if it's if you're thinking about like a tree diagram and I'm like oh this word like like control f this word and I can just like hearing it once I'm like oh I can see two streams at once kind of thing um so that's just kind of how I think and I think that's why it's easy for me to not stop talking but that's why it's also difficult for me to talk because I won't always realize that I'm going to end up at a different tree (laughs) and that's why I backtrack somewhat often is because I'll get to that point I'll be like oh I really actually I think that this other lens is beneficial to addressing a system uh, and I just didn't realize that this is where it would end up, so I'll include it now. And that's why writing is a lot easier for me, because if I just, like, free-flow notes, then an outline is easier, because I'll be like, I can switch it. I can, instead of starting with a grand macro lens, I could start with this small, like, finite niche, and I could be like, and then I, you could go up the trees, and I'll be like, this is one way to go up the tree, this is another way to go up the tree, this is why they're connected, why everything is the same thing. Um, so, all goes back to that way that I just, like, happened to train myself uh, to think as a young child. And it just never stopped in some ways, and I don't, I no longer consciously, like, attach things to a bookshelf, but it's just that kind of way of thinking that would, it's just, just useful, so I never... I've never questioned it. I'm sure it's been optimized, just not as explicitly, whatever. But, yeah, it's fun. And you you still can train yourself, and there are, like, ways, like, you look up how orators did things, like, and this is something that you think could help you. Like, maybe look at that. I don't know. Because uh, I do know people that have done similar things intentionally, and it helps their minds be more clear and organized. Um, and maybe at some point I should do some kind of file keeping in there um, but for now my maps work so my maps are the x-axis the trees of thought are the y they go around place to place blah 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 this is a fun time again just make your mind such a fun place to live and you won't feel so stressed and I honestly this is just complete speculation just something I feel I think that when people feel shitty about themselves 
it's because they're like these little paths that I'm talking about. Um, it's all lines with connected dots. I think it just like misaligned for them. I think they're like taking shoulds and forcing them onto the ways that on their values, and I think it's just like misalignments. I don't know that anyone actually feels like innately negative about themselves. I think it's just things that we're made to feel, like Little Miss Sunshine, fire. But she like she just loved ice cream, and she was just killing it as she should, because she was killing it. This little girl, Olive. Um, right? <laughs> I don't think I got her name. Yeah, it is Olive. Um, but. And then she was made to feel shitty about ice cream. And then she felt nervous. And then she asked, I, I don't want to spoil it, but she was like, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't listen. But she asked her, her role model, she's like, do you eat ice cream? And she was like, yeah, I eat ice cream. And she's like, okay, cool, I can eat ice cream. Because that like was villainized in such a way that there would have been like crazy misalignments for no reason because the misalignment would have been arbitrary. You know? And so now she can just keep doing her thing. We could all keep doing things, and honestly, that movie, that particular scene, so healing. I was like, yeah, you're right. I agree. Yep, you got it, Miss California. Uh, <laughs> so, hopefully, hopefully that helps. And now I do actually have to go back. Now it is the correct time for my call. And I think I've walked the distance that I wanted to. I think I've gone over my six miles. Okay. Out of breath, I'm walking and my incessant speech.